of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Okay, fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> That's right, you didn't expect us. Bang, on time. The national curriculum, ready to go. And the natural order has been resumed with uh, Joey Lintz isolated against three New South Wales-based correspondents last week. Victoria takeover is complete. Josh Parrish here alongside Nick DeBarno. How are you, Nick? Good. Good to be back after two weeks away. A uh, bit disappointed I missed the last two shows. Actually, well, technically I was on last week, but I was, I was Josh, I was picking up where you left off over <laughs> in Queensland. I, I went up north and uh, continued the campaign trail. Uh, so, yeah, good to be back. Uh, looking forward to a good show tonight. I hope you uh, made some inroads against the, the scourge of the crocodiles up there. And uh, looking like he's uh, dressed out of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, it's Joey Lynch. Hello, Josh. And yes, I am thankful that more Victorian look to the national curriculum tonight. Uh, Sydney will just have to make do with dominating 95% of the rest of Australian (laughs) football media. Let's kick off with the Matildas, a 1-0 loss to Canada yesterday as we record. Uh, Sam Kerr had plenty of chances, couldn't hit the back of the net. Canada could have sealed the win as well, but it finished 1-0 to the Olympic champions. Uh, gentlemen, your assessment of the performance, another disappointing result for Tony Gustafson and co. Well, inevitably there's going to be more conversations had surrounding Gustafsson, but I think given where we currently are in the series, we're halfway through it. We've had the game in Brisbane. We're going into the game um, against the Canadians again on Tuesday in Sydney. Those conversations, I think, probably better suited for next week once we've had the entire window to actually assess. So with obviously those conversations are important and rest assured, we will have them and pressure will absolutely be on Gustafsson. But I think my biggest takeaway from this game, it's not really a new takeaway. It's something that we've been talking about on this show for a year and a half with this side, Um, especially just the midfield composition of this team. It, it was wrong again. I mean, it's gotten better, certainly, ever since the arrival of Katrina Gorey back into the side. And it feels like sitting in Tony Gustafsson's pre-game press conference, it feels sort of like Katrina Gorey is now one of the first names on the team sheet as a six, as a regista. So I think that's right. But the problem is that now you've just got to figure out the rest of the midfield composition to maximise her talents. And I feel like, Josh, they got that wrong against the Canadians in this game. Mary Fowler and Emily Van Egmond, I think it's a case of pick one. Pick Fowler, pick Van Egmond, pick one of them, and then f- put somebody else in that midfield. I'm biased, and we'll get to who I put in in a second, but put somebody else in that midfield so it actually functions more effectively so that you're able to get at your opponents, carry the ball towards your opponent's goal reliably and effectively when you're not already in their half or, you know, breaking against the broken defence because of transition. So that's my takeaway from the game. Josh, you're on mute. 
just unmute myself there. Very professional podcasting. Uh, Nick, what were your takeaways for from the performance? Uh, who performed well? Who stood out? Who flopped? Well, give me a. Does, that, me doesn't a... it feel like we're saying the same things every time the Matildas play, though? Like it's the same conversations about midfield composition. It's the same thing about, you know, results just aren't necessarily, you know, going in the direction that we'd be hoping for. I mean, they did create chances. They they did some decent stuff. I mean, Sam Kerr tested a few times, especially in the first half. It looked like you just couldn't get one past. But in the, in the second half, particularly, if we're talking about flops, the fence was all over the place, like putting it bluntly. I mean, Courtney Nevin was very lucky not to get sent off, let's be real. Uh, I mean, got that yellow card. Um, in the end, was very lucky not to get a second. Uh, she didn't have her best game. Uh, the, if Canada were more ruthless in front of goal, which I thought they should have been, it, this score could have easily been 3-4, maybe 5-0. Um, so it's a lot of the same problems. Defensively getting carved up, going forward, showing some okay signs. But in midfield, again, the same struggles we speak about almost every single time, you know, with the same composition of having someone like Katrina Gurry uh, sort of carrying things in terms of going forward and, you know, two players who ostensibly don't necessarily like receiving the ball and, you know, want to be sort of those late run kind of players like Mary Fowler and Emily Van Egmond. So um, the composition isn't right. It's the same problems that we've been saying for so many months uh, in the Tony Gustafsson sort of era. Um, and it just feels like we're running, we're running sort of the same, we're having the same conversation. You can almost copy and paste from almost every single game that we've had probably for the last year and a bit. So it's a bit disappointing in that sense. So curious to see if anything changes for the second game, but to be honest, is it really? Probably not. Um, so yeah, uh, disappointing about Alana Kennedy's injury as well. Uh, fingers crossed it's nothing too serious uh, as well. That's a bit of a disappointing one because we know our centre-back depth isn't great either. So no, Alana Kennedy hasn't been playing uh, necessarily as well as we would have liked over the past little while. But, you know, our depth isn't great in defence right now. We've already lost Ali Carpenter and to lose Al Alana Kennedy as well. We know, um, you know, how Tony G has gone in terms of selecting players and sort of how deep the pool goes with him. It sort of reaches a limit. Is he going to go out of the pool? Is he going to start to expand that a little bit more from what is already a, quite a shallow pool he's looked at? So, yeah, uh, curious to see if, if that changes going forward in, in uh, upcoming selections. But, um, yeah, uh, I, it's, it's the same thing every time, isn't it? What I don't understand is why Australia has called up so many players that aren't fully fit. Like, we weren't even able to fill out our full bench complement against Canada. Uh, I don't understand that. I don't understand why Chloe Legazzo is there if she's not going to play. That it, it doesn't make sense, and it speaks to an in-group of Matildas players who are pretty much undroppable. I'm not going to disagree with you, Josh, there, and I think that is another thing that we have discussed at length on this show, the apparent hierarchy, um, codified hierarchy that exists within the Matildas. But to provide... The reasoning that I think has been given sitting in Gustafsson's pre-game press conference, he talked about this series marking the beginning of a new journey, a new pathway. He sought to put, well, his line in the sands comments that was um, put uh, reported on um, in the lead into this thing, it wasn't so much that line in the sands results now have to come it was more line in the sands that that was all in the past. We're moving into a new phase now. And the idea being that there won't be more, more call-ups, um, random call-ups. There won't be more players. Well, the net will not be cast. The idea is now to zero in on continuity and chemistry 
heading into the World Cup. He used the example of England's continuity heading into the Euros. Ergo, I imagine even though these players weren't fit, his the reasoning would be if we were to ask Astarsson that question was because he's trying to build chemistry and consistency in his team. Whether the fact that this team is apparently is an almost an exact replica of this team for the past half a decade, if not more, and they need chemistry is another question. Um, and I agree with you, you know, it, it smacks of the hierarchy and sort of some players being in there regardless, but that would be the reasoning. Just a, a quick one. So looking at this squad, do you guys see this bar? Maybe if Ali Carpenter makes a bit of a, a, a fluke recovery in time for the World Cup, well, not a fluke recovery, but makes it in time for the World Cup and maybe with the exception of Ali Rasso, Kai Simon and Elise Callan Knight, can you really see this squad changing too much by the time the World Cup rolls around? Is this going to be ostensibly the squad or what's selected from this core right here that's going to be going to the World Cup come uh, next July? Well, yeah, that, that that's by design. Mm. So, so basically, what we what we've gathered from what Tony said is this is it. Like, there, if you're not in the squad now, like you're basically it's going to take something incredible to get in. I mean, yeah, never say never, but that's what I took from his comments. Hmm. I I thought we left the positional insanity of the Alan Stadjic era behind, and apparently not. With Larissa Crummer, well done to her for coming back from serious injury, right back, which uh, Tamika Yallop playing as a left back, which I think is even more ill suited because she's always trying to come inside on her right foot. And the two fullbacks that we started, uh, both I thought got completely torched. Um, Grant looked pretty good uh, going forwards, uh, but whichever flank Nichelle Prince popped up on, which is absolutely tearing us a new one, uh, Courtney Nevin, we've already covered, uh, extremely lucky to stay on the pitch. Some of the most charitable, friendly refereeing you're likely to see. Um, and in a competitive fixture, almost certainly would have been walking. Um, yeah, we, we've got serious problems there. And we talk about the centre-backs. I don't think they had much help. They were doing a lot of running into channels and covering uh, for, for their teammates. We've got, we've got serious depth problems and that depth hasn't been developed over the course of the last couple of years whatsoever. And then Which when they is play a bit them, of a problem. Yeah. Sorry, and then when they play, so when, then when they play the depth, they put them out in the bloody, they throw them in, in the deep end of the pool against someone like Spain and say, yep, go out there. It's good for you. You're going to get that opportunity when you're not easing them in. And you're making these really irrational decisions in terms of selection and where they're playing against. It, it's like, it's one thing getting minutes into them. As we said, after those games, like it's another thing, you know, getting battered 7-0 and your confidence is completely destroyed. You're not going to get selected again for a long time. Like, what good is that? I mean, I, I think it's really telling when Gustafsson talks about how the past previous period was a developmental one. You cast the net wide, you build depth, you hand out debuts to youngsters, all of that sort of stuff. And he cites the statistics about how many young players got debuts and how many players came into squads and came into camps. And that's indisputable. That's maths, quick maths. What you can dispute is how well that depth was actually built and how many of those debuts, both those players handed debuts were properly developed. How many of the players brought in were properly fostered to the degree which they could be relied on as depth heading into the Women's World Cup, which was ostensibly, I imagine, one of the main purposes of building the depth. It's not just depth for depth's sake and capping players for capping players' sake. The idea is that you develop and you bring in potential difference makers and potential contributors. And it's very telling that at the end of this depth 
building period now heading into uh, the period where we're supposed to be zeroing in and building cohesion and chemistry. Apparently, our first choice backup at centre-back is a talked-out-of-retirement Ivy Lewick. Mm. I mean, it's not ideal. Nothing against Ivy Lewick. Ivy Lewick, good player. In fact, one could make the argument that perhaps she... Josh, you're uh, on mute again if you want to interject. Um, I'm a fan of Ivy Lewick. Like, I think she's a smart footballer. Um, and I think, you know, maybe I'm biased because she shaved her head for cancer and all of that sort of stuff. I think she's a serviceable football player. But it's still, it's a bit of an indictment on the depth building process if she is, like, we went through this whole depth building process and the best outcome was calling Ivy Lewick out of retirement. Um, yes, agreeing with um, Harald Zero's comment there, a developmental year in which very little proper development was actually achieved. Some of that obviously hasn't gone right. I, I am almost certain that if Kayla Morrison had not done her ACL, and had been able to get citizenship by now, she would be in Matilda at this point. That is not ideal, obviously, but it's one of the things that, you know, yes, Gustafsson talks about building depth, but, and one can't argue that A, the depth building exercise was needed, and B, that attempts were made, what you can take issue was whether it was successful or not. And that's one of the foibles um, I take issues um, with moving forward. And, you know, I'll give a shout shout out to the man that we just had on the screen, Geraldo, some of the tweets that he put out on social media in the aftermath of the Matildas Canada game. And once again, as we've said many times on this pod, if you're not following him on Twitter, you're missing out because he's got really good football takes. But he talked about how the whilst you cannot discount the problems that we the structural problems that have existed in Australian football how they are very real how they have certain challenges that have to be overcome and it's silly to discount them they cannot be used as a complete shield for as he termed it sus ball knowledge like it's not a complete you know like there are certain things that are within people's control despite logistical challenges and that's where the disagreements and foibles can come, I think, moving forward. Should we talk about the elephant in the room, um, the midfielder that should be playing and is never given a start? Uh, take take the floor, Josh. I think you should. Well, All yours, I Josh. I, I think uh, whoever runs the Opta Jason Twitter account uh, is a TNC listener, or at least one of us, because on the eve of the game with the hashtag, they tweeted out a pass map of Alex Chidiak the highest pass completion in MLS or it, uh, NWSL, I should say. Sorry. Um, Muff. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, a, a league which is incredibly frantic and you get zero time on the ball, 88% pass completion and most of those passes going forwards. Um, you contrast her ambition with the ball and the, uh, the regularity with which she's able to find a teammate in tight spaces with Emily Van Egmond having... Uh, Katrina Gorey turn out of pressure, dribble between two players, uh, somehow you know split um, a ridiculous situation, square the ball to her, and then she turns and goes back to the centre backs again. It, it was infuriating. It happened two or three, four times. Um, just Australia's momentum completely halted, uh, slamming on the brakes when we've just made some rare inroads. Uh, I just don't. 
I just don't get it with, with Van Egmond being involved in the build-up. And Fowler wants to play high and close to the striker, and that's fine. That's what Fowler's good at. She's good in the final third. But as you say, Joey, those two players, completely incompatible because we've seen it time and time again with Van Egmond taking up deeper roles in midfield. It's just not her strength. So we end up with uh, two midfielders operating on two completely different wavelengths. And this is just simple sort of, you know, basic almost. Like I'm, I'm no football coach, but I, I, you know how a midfield three composition works when you've got a, a deep-lying six and two eights or two tens or however else you want to play, especially with players of the the, the skill set of players like Mary Fowl and Emily Van Egmond, players who thrive on those late runs and players look to get in the box as almost a second striker. It is almost impossible to play with two of those same players if you are playing with most of the ball. And if you don't have that extra pivot, someone who else can get the ball and actually drive and support, you're going to fall to bits every single time you're looking to get up the pitch. I mean, this is why it's all—it's never really made sense when you've got, as you said, Josh, when you've got someone like Alex Chidiak, someone who's able to get on the ball, wants the ball at her, field, uh, at her feet, and able to actually create things. And how, I'm actually curious, like, does anyone have the amount of minutes she's actually played under Tony Gustafsson and the, in terms of these caps? Because... In terms of when she had that, there was that, I think it was before the New Zealand friendlies where she got the late call up and there was all the, the furor after she wasn't initially selected. Then she got called up last minute in place of Kyra Cooney Cross. I don't, she's barely seen the pitch. And that for me really worries me because when you've got someone of the caliber of her sitting on the bench and, you know, someone who could ostensibly really ch- change the way this team plays when they are in possession, sitting on the bench, rusting away. That concerns me. And the fact that there's just been no, you know, at least outlook to change that, at least give her an opportunity in these friendlies, which are what friendlies are for, to try new things. And especially when it's not working and you're not winning games and you're getting battered and you're not doing much in midfield, you'd think you'd give Chidiak a chance in these sort of games. So it is disappointing that we're still going with the same, same. I know Emily Van Egmond has been, this basically a rusted on part of the Matildas midfield for so many years. But God, these are these are friendlies. They're supposed to be low stakes friendlies. Play her, give her an opportunity, see what 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 else could happen. I don't see that any harm in doing so. If anything, it's a net game for the team. The team will probably played better in midfield with Gory and Chidiak in there. But and again, we know in Australian football, risk is a big thing, and most there's very rarely you see a coach that's you know going to be willing to you know change something up and you know play a little bit through the middle and, and look to try something new. So. I feel like I'm shouting into an echo chamber here, fellas. It's really frustrating. I like. I I, I feel like I should. Interject. We're not totally in the tank for Chidiac. Well, some of us might be in, totally in the tank for Chidiac, but th- there are, of course, other options as well. Like Ivy Lewick can play as a six as well. Maybe you push Gory further up the pitch. You play Gory and Fowler together further up the pitch, or Gory and Egmonds further up the pitch with Ivy Lewick as a six. Claire Wheeler can play as a six. Ostensibly, um, at some point, one imagines that Elise Kellen Knight will be at least given the opportunity to win back her place in the side if she is physically capable of doing so. She can come in and provide an option. There's Tamika Yallop, um, of course, uh, Kyra Cooney-Cross, we weren't fans of it um, when she was, but if the first choice players come back into the side for the Sydney game, they could move her back into the midfield as disagreeable as we might find it. But there are options. What we are like, I think the takeaway is that the midfield composition that we saw against Canada in Brisbane wasn't optimal. So it would be banging one's head against a brick wall to just 
try to make it work when all signs point to the contrary, I think. And it doesn't have to be Chidiac. We obviously prefer it to be Chidiac, but um, yeah, there are more options. It's, it's, it's about, sorry, go ahead, Josh, before I keep my And, and, and Tonus uh, pointing out that just be glad Chidiac actually made it to the game, <laughs> which is fair. She did have an order trying to, trying to get there. Um, but maybe that means they're saving her for the second game. Uh, we, we'll have to wait and see. Um, uh, Nick, from Edmonds, what's, what's the uh, purpose of Kyra Cooney Cross pretty much drifting around the per- the pitch for 90 minutes ineffectively? Yeah, I didn't think she looked like a Matilda against Canada. I didn't think that that flank I thought was incredibly poor. I feel like she's more likely to turn into, if we're going to keep picking her, she's more likely to contribute on the wing than in the midfield. I do think so as well, but I just think she's horrendously out of form. I don't think she's, she's ever hit of the form. heights of 2021 where, at Victory where she had the confidence to take players on. Uh, this past season at Victory, she barely stood out. She was just, just another player um, and didn't have much end product in terms of stats either. She ripped up Western Sydney Wanderers, but... Yeah, but... Uh, that's Western, Western Sydney West Wanderers. Sydney Wanderers. <laughs> the only game that Kyra Cooney-Cross was outstanding in in the A-League women's last season, she played pretty much every game. Uh, was against the worst team in the league by a, a mile at that time. A terrible, uh, terrible side. So uh, I just don't see what she's done to earn her spot in the squad. And um, based on Nevin's performance, I don't see it either. Nick? You know, just having a look at Geraldo's comment here about playing three four one two, pretty please. Um, you know, I think it was Unther said it months ago that they should look at playing a three five two, 5 and look to try and change things up and, you know, have necessarily like if you're going to look at if i'm going to look at one team for example that i model i remember making the same sort of when he brought it up was uh watching into this morning how they play with the three five two and how they utilize players who make those late runs and they use that same sort of system it could work really well with the matilda so to Geraldo's point if you're going to play something with the back three and be able to utilize your best assets of having wing backs and you know look to uh you know maybe go with a bit more of a narrow setup i wonder if how Cooney Cross would even fit into that if, like, say, for instance, it would happen. I, I don't see Tony Gustafsson moving for a 4-3-3. Or if it's not a 4-3-3, it's a 3-4-3, let's be real. Um, so 3-4-1-2 would be great. 3-5-2 would be great. Uh, I just can't see it happening. And I think there'd be a lot of players that get lost in the shuffle, let's be real. They'd have to either turn into wingbacks or they'd have to play centrally. I think Tony G has said before that he didn't want to give the players a system they weren't as familiar with at yeah. club level. So, and I can't I see that changing. Not now. And that's the thing. Yeah. We're so close to the tournament. You know, anything we say here is pretty much, you know, shouting. It's fantasy booking. It's fantasy it booking. Is. We can, we can, is. We can hope. <laughs> um, it, I, I, there was a question I wanted to get to. Uh, Joe, do you want to jump in? I've got a well, yeah, I, it's, I think it's fantasy booking in terms of players that we'd like to see come in and be embedded into the team, changing the system and all of that sort of stuff. That's fantasy booking. But what I think, there's two conversations that's going to inevitably happen. Well, there's going to be multiple, but there's two I'm going to like focus on right now heading into the w- Women's World Cup. One will inevitably be the circus surrounding Gustafsson and his status. I have my thoughts on that, but A, my ideological perspective on firing coaches mid-window is well-established, and B... Football Australia, I cannot see Football Australia moving on him um, before the Women's World Cup. So, A, I don't want to waste too much energy on that. The other one is surrounding the matters of, matters of utilisation. If this is the team 
that Gustafsson is going to bring. Focus needs to be on utilization. It's not just who is getting picked up, but um, it's it's not just who's getting picked, but it's who's starting and the roles they are being asked to play. And that shouldn't be controversial. I mean, it's the national team. We should be able to discuss these matters, you know, and provide you know, critique of what's going on. It's they're they're you know this is the team that's about to play possibly the most important games in Australian football history, a home World Cup, and it's really going to be interesting to see just matters of utilization and maybe the tinkering around the edges of the system to bring the best out of players. I mean, is the idea do you with the idea of Ford and Kerr? Do you bring Ford more centrally and allow Kerr to get out wide a little more? So rather than be playing on the last shoulder of the centre back all the time, she's given more scope to face goal a bit more and start crashing in. Those are the sort of questions I really want to ask. Because it's not just about midfield utilization and how do you maximize Gorry. It's about how do you maximize Kerr and how do you maximize these other apparent walk-up starters? Well, just on this comment here from Toros about, you know, Kerr just doesn't seem to be playing with any freedom. Feels like she has the weight of the country on her shoulders. Well, I mean, it's literally becoming hit it long to Sammy sometimes. I mean, there is so much reliance on Sam Kerr bailing us out. We've seen that throughout the majority of the Tony Gustavs era to the fact that he was even questioned about it. The fact that is there too much reliance on Sam Kerr? Sam Kerr needs help up there. Yeah. Sam Kerr needs help up there. So, Joey, that is a really good point. I, we, we've said, it's you know, just... Ford and Kerr potentially coming in and playing centrally together where you can have Kerr necessarily delegating that responsibility a bit more would be key for her because just, she's able to for Chelsea. Sorry, go on, Joey. Shout, shout out to AOP's George Clark who asked him that question <laughs> about the over-reliance on Sam Kerr. Tony Gustafsson snaps back with, like, all these stats and all of that. And, and like, why do you think that? And George just responds... Because I watched the game. Because <laughs> I watched the games. It was just for What's our eye test? Um, uh, I, I did feel exactly the same way, um, Taurus, about Kerr feeling that weight of expectation. And that's only going to... This is a friendly. That's only going to be amplified 10 times, 100 times at the actual tournament itself. And it really did seem like if Kerr didn't score, we had no other route to go whatsoever. If she was not having a good day in front of goals, Australia's just not going to win. And uh, actually, Teo Pellizzeri said it in commentary late in the game. There was a corner. And I think he yelled out, Kerr is the hope, um, as she went up for the header. And it really is that. And as we know from uh, Nick Stoll's uh, catchphrase, hope is not a strategy. And the Matildas don't have one beyond Kerr at the moment. Mm. It really is incumbent upon them. To maximise Kerr, like, yeah, I get there can be, you know, frustrations. Like we talked about Ange fatigue on the show last week. Maybe some people are suffering from Kerr fatigue as well. But Kerr is a legitimate shot for the Ballon d'Or because of the way she's playing with Chelsea. Like the question, like like, once again, utilisation, how do we get Chelsea's Kerr playing for the Matildas has to be the question. Like, you can't just stick Kerr up front and say, go be Chelsea's Kerr. Like, there's a system around Kerr and there are players around Kerr at Chelsea that allow her to play like that. Surely well, it's at, incumbent upon the staff to figure that out at Australia. Sorry, well, Nick. No, but look who's, look who's around her. Look who her coach is. Like, that's, that sums it up. 
I mean, it's not like Australia don't have the players, but the system is a lot better at Chelsea. And she's got a lot of comp, a lot, lot of talents on those wings, and especially through midfield as well. And you've got you've got uh, Bethany England, and you've got Harder on the other side. You've got Cuthbert in midfield. There is so much quality in that Chelsea team, and it works out for Sam Kerr. It works perfectly. But here we are for Australia, and it's she's not being utilised to the best of her strength. So it, it is frustrating because you'd love to see. I, I just feel like that there is too, as we've said, there is too much responsibility on her. Get that responsibility off her shoulders, and maybe we'll start to see a little bit more of them to of a, that Chelsea Sam Kerr quote unquote. So it's not that there isn't, you know, necessarily that um, that the quality isn't there for Australia, and so she can't do it for Australia. It's just that all right, let her do it. Take that responsibility off her shoulders, or at least delegate that responsibility. Give her the same, you know, obviously you still want to score goals, still want to do what she does, and, and hope for that sort of level, but don't put all your eggs in one basket, like spread that out, get the right players around us. So I don't know. We'll see what Tony does. I was just going to read out this comment from Homer legend. Uh, is it just me or is TNC without stole determined to never read out my comments? Uh, it's you specifically Homer legend. We've targeted <laughs> you and we've, uh, we've, we've shadowed banned you from the show. Apologies. Oh. For that. <laughs> No, we actually have stuff. We have we have stuff of value to say on like Stoll, who just needs to pad. <laughs> <laughs> he turns to the people because he doesn't have anything of his own to contribute. You know, he's he's up here criticizing our our setups and our rooms. Apparently, apparently, I'm the neat one, which I think my camera is very artfully positioned here because the rest of my living space is an absolute disgrace. If I, uh, I am a massive talk. fan of this comment from Joseph <laughs> Chachone. So Joseph, Joseph, a massive Napoli supporter, uh, basically comparing Sam Kerr to Victor Osman uh, without the support with Laboka, Zielinski and Kavarskiela. Um, yeah, if, if you watch Serie A, you'll know exactly what Joseph is talking about. But yes, that sums it up perfectly. You know, it's it's it, it's actually like watching Napoli in that sense. So uh, good, good on you there, Joseph. More cultural uh, sort of comparisons and we'll be on the same page. Don't you worry. Nick D'Italian uh, coming through there. Any any Serie A references? Nick will <laughs> Nick will jump well, on. This is, well, this is Joseph. Joseph just said, you know, Napoli's target target man being supported by his left winger and two midfielders who bring the ball up the pitch. There you go. That that sums it up perfectly. If you don't watch football, that comment there from Joseph sums it up. So thank you. Right, anything further on the Matildas before we uh, move on and talk Oz Cup? I mean. Go Matildas. Let's hope they can play well against Canada. Like, yeah, like once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to come out in 2023. Let's go Matildas. And it's at a new stadium this week, the game. I'm looking forward to the atmosphere yeah. at least and what, looking forward to seeing what the turnout's going to be. Uh, so, yeah, I look, it, it, we're still in the same position we were a little while ago with the uh, team on the pitch, but it's still going to be awesome like the atmosphere is going to be awesome when the tournament actually rolls around we're not going to maximize on the the world cup's uh, potential legacy if the matildas don't perform well of course but i'm still super we're not just trying to play it down and say this team is no good and not going to achieve anything it's just mm. the oh. frustrations what we see with the potential of the team in front of us i i did actually have one point that i um wanted to make it's not about the matildas it's about canada i wanted to give um nichelle prince her props for the she was great yeah, like i, th I think i <laughs> Sorry to pick on him, but I think I saw something about a quote from Tony Gustafsson talking about how um, they were able to shut down Nichelle Prince because, like, she only had um, one shot in the first half, and that was outside the box. But that sort of really understates the 
effects she was having on the dynamics of that game. It was her that got hacked down centimetres outside the box um, by Polking Horns who almost win the penalty. I think Michelle Prince, like, she plays for the Houston Dash. Like, Surely someone's like going to pick her up. Like, yeah, surely like, someone's going to be watching. Yeah. Like, yeah, I understand, like, maybe she likes playing in the, you know, North America and being able to go home, but she's good enough to be a pretty decent level in Europe based upon my very limited exposure to her in this game. Just a quick one. Adriana Leon's goal, like, just quietly. That was, oh, like, that was Belter. a perfect hit. Like, Lydia Williams had no chance. Sensational hit. So uh, Manchester United's women's side are in very good hands with her coming along. Yeah, I mean, if only the men's team could make such astute signings. So, <laughs> they can apparently. Um, what about uh, Anthony? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, a like hundred million. Have I have to call this out? Um, have we just seen the reply that um, Skip Fulton, FB Skippy, just sent us on our Twitter account? No, I have not. No. Oh my god. <laughs> 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 All right, well, oh. I, have to, I have to download this picture. And I have to. Yeah. Oh to my this. goodness! <laughs> what? <laughs> what? All right. What? Our audience is none the wiser at the moment. I, 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 I'm going to upload this into the picture so our audience can see it, what? and then we'll describe it. I, and then we'll so, describe so, it for the podcast listeners. So when people this are driving our... past Lakeside, they're going to see my head. Yes, this oh is God. now live at Lakeside Stadium, the home of South Melbourne. <laughs> Nick Devano, live Box on TNC. Live. Giant have Nick a, billboard I, for the win. I have a billboard. This is a this is amazing. This <laughs> oh is incredible. God. This is the best marketing we could ever hope for. And the most marketable face as well. Thank you, Skip. <laughs> let's not let's not get too crazy here. <laughs> that is brilliant. Oh, oh Skip, goodness. thank you. That is great. Nick, Nick the Lakeside. Skip, have that. Have, Skip, well, I hope you have that ready. Well, I don't know where the NPL Victoria Grand Final is going to be just yet, but I hope you have that ready because I want to see that up and there for South Melbourne Oakley on Sunday. Nick the big time. <laughs> yep. And, and, so, and, and, I, and was, Tonus, I was the one actually act at Lakeside today calling their preliminary and you didn't final. See it? But it's Nick Devano who gets the billboard. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Said so. Hey, Antonis was saying, I was crying out for billboards a few weeks ago when United <laughs> were in town. And you know what? I manifested it. Um, who says manifestation is not real, guys? Like, this is sensational marketing. For t- this is the most marketing Australian football has had since, you know, the, back in the glory days. This is great. I think we need to get Billy Joel's greatest hits uh, up there as well. If, if you got a Billy Joel tour poster, you can put up there, Skip, just to follow. Oh, Jesus. No, we should. All right. That, we should move on. But that right. was fantastic. <laughs> what a way to end a segment. Incredible. Skip, I need to get a photo in front of my billboard. That's now what I need. <laughs> I need, a, I need it could be a... your new Tinder picture, Nick Devano. <laughs> I thought this was dead. <laughs> Yeah, it's the, it's the oh, tall poppy, oh the TNC tall poppy syndrome, Nick Nirvana. Anytime one of us gets too high up, another one has to come in and cut us off at the knees. I I, I hope the Lakeside Stadium um, scoreboard is a touchscreen because I was definitely swipe right on that post. You absolute... Got no words. Oh, <laughs> the big um, time. 
Nifter big time indeed. All right, let's Nick go the to... Nifter <laughs> oh. oh. My neck's <laughs> sore from laughing that much. Oh, my God. <laughs> let's get to the next segment. Yeah. All right, self-indulgence uh, for the evening complete. Oh, uh, is self-indulgence cut... on TNC? No! <laughs> Never. That's why the podcast goes for two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> Australia Cup semi-finals, uh, Brisbane versus Sydney United, and stunningly, as predicted by precisely no one last week, MacArthur playing Oakley, one of the cup sets <laughs> of the season, maybe the biggest cup set ever, the Oakley Cannons, who looked like they might have to play a 14-year-old between the sticks before the game. Last minute signing approved for Lewis Italiano, and they knocked off Sydney FC at Jack Edwards Reserve. A superb Wednesday evening. I was there. It was a fantastic atmosphere. Joey, uh, how did you see it? I thought it was incredible. I was I was a bit mad because I was um, having to – I couldn't get out there because I was filing on all three cup games. So I was sitting at home um, with all three up on YouTube, flicking between them all. But it was, it was incredible. Just – it was fantastic. Like, this is what – has made people fall in love with the Australia Cup. Just these cup sets, these semi-professionals doing what they're not supposed to do. I mean, it's hard enough at the best of times, but when you consider this Oakley side gone to extra time against Brisbane City just days before this Australia Cup fixture, they'd been taken to penalties in one of the best games in NPL Victoria in the NPL era, era especially, ever, against Heidelberg United. And they were still able to beat Sydney FC. 2-1, run it out against professionals. You know, like, we, there was a lot of talk. You know, Wade Decker, PE teacher, who'd gone from teaching at high school and driven to the game. All of the... Chris Taylor, from the coach on a work site, going to the game. It's hackneyed. It's, you know, cliched. It's a bit bollocks, but it's fantastic. You know, it's what the Australian Cup is supposed to be. I absolutely loved it. Um, now, on the football side of things, slight concern for Sydney FC, barely being able to create proper goal-scoring opportunities against a bunch of semi-pros about, what, a month out from the start of the A-League men's season. So concerns there. But <laughs> it was great. Um yeah, great work from Oakley, and I'll, I'll throw it to, to Nick and Josh. You guys were actually there. What was it like being there? Well, I wasn't. I was actually getting off the plane as the uh, as oh. the. I, I literally landed, and then someone like I, I, my phone vibrated straight away. Like literally, you know, when you turn, you take your phone off flight mode, and like you get all the the flood of notifications. I saw someone just said, "Oh my god, Decker!" And I thought, like, no way. Like Oakley can't be winning. And then you know, see one nil, then two nil, mate. It was unbelievable. Like I only, to be honest, I only got to see the last 10 minutes of the game. But I got to say, it's an amazing achievement for Oakley. It is an unbelievable achievement. When you take into consideration all that they've gone through over the last two months with injuries, the hectic schedule, playing Doherty Cup, League, Australia Cup, finals now in the NPL, and they've been playing 120 minutes during the week, then 120 minutes on the weekend. Like to, to add to that, for those who don't know, they played 120 minutes again yesterday. And they came from behind and beat Port Melbourne to make the NPL grand, men's grand final here. 
Like, that's incredible. They are just riding this wave at the moment. And it's such an awesome storyline. Like, you mentioned the 14-year-old goalkeeper. You mentioned, I mean, we're not even talking about their defense. For the first two rounds of the Australia Cup, Wade Decker was playing left back, for God's sake, because, you know, Jacob Eliopoulos got, had a season-ending injury. Hamish Miller had season-ending injury. Oscar Dillon just came back from injury. They were playing Oliver Kubelay and Tyson Holmes had to fill in at centre-back. They've had their two signings, Mario Barcia and Ryan Losty, cup-tied. They haven't been able to play. So they've barely been able to fill out a bench. And then even Nick Nyagoran as well. Like All these amazing stories. And then there's Joe Knowles to cap it all off. And the fact that now all of a sudden they're in the semi-final. And look, I'm not going to say that you know they're necessarily a shoe-in to beat MacArthur. But God, they're a good chance. Like there is such a good chance, guys, in all this, that we could get an all MPL Australia Cup final. And my God, that would be amazing. Like a Sydney F I'm giving Sydney United a real chance of beating Brisbane on one on one hand. And I genuinely think Oakley could really test MacArthur at Jack Edwards Reserve. Um, grand final being the review mirror, mirror by then. So they can just go all out in that game and just leave it all on the line. So it's going to be incredible nonetheless. Whatever happens from here is a bonus. They're just riding the wave, and it's so much fun. This is this is the magic of the cup, and it's full, you know, and it's full pelt. Like, this is just brilliant. And, you know, it's it was great scene. So I'm, I'm, I've got a question for you guys. Will Oakley, if they get, like, if let's say like, for the crowd that they get at that game with Jack Edwards, will that be the biggest crowd MacArthur have ever played in front of? Like, genuinely, what is the biggest crowd MacArthur have ever played in front of? No, like, this is a genuine question. All right, they're, hold they're, on, their biggest, me, their biggest let, home let crowd is 5,700. But I don't know what their away crowds were against, say, Sydney or Western Sydney. But could that? I'll, 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 I mean, it's surely not. But when they played away to, you know, victory or what have you. I will, How many... I will, I, I will look up Ultimate A-League. Josh, you give your takes whilst I look this up. Um, I wanted to pinpoint a couple of Oakley players who I thought really stood up in that, you know, back to the wall kind of performance. Um, Anthony Pantazopoulos, I thought was immense. Oh, brilliant. He was fantastic. Um, he was an absolute bull. He took on Joe Lolly and made him look pretty ordinary on his debut. Um, I thought Robert Mack was uh, decent for Sydney when he came on, but couldn't, you know, fashion too many clear goal scoring opportunities for, for Oakley. Um, Oscar Dillon. Uh, was immense. Uh, Chris Lucas, who scored, of course. I don't know how much he knew about the goal, but he deserved the goal based on his performance. And uh, and of course the uh, the Church League legend that is Wade Decker um, scoring the goal. But um, yeah, I, I thought there was there was so much to be proud of from an Oakley perspective, from an MPL Victoria perspective. Um, yeah, Oliver Kubelay had a great game as well, screening the defence. He does a kind of an understated role in there, but I thought he was one of his best games in an Oakley jersey. They just they just stood up to be counted on a on a night where everybody would have given them any length of excuses um, with which to justify that they went down three nil or what have you. Would have been no shame in it whatsoever. But they stood up and they really fought. And Sydney FC, um, like they they have no excuses for losing that game despite being out of season really against such an undermanned team. It does not look good on Sydney FC. Well, I will say MacArthur's first um, ever game in the A-League men, their 3-1 win over, um, no, sorry, wrong one. Their first ever game in the A-League men, a 1-0 win over the Western Sydney Wanderers at Bankwest Stadium got 10,128. Okay, so it's, it's not, it's, 
It's not going to break close. the record. It's not. Yeah, you, I don't think you could fit ten thousand people into Jack Edwards. Um, or could you, you? sit him on the roof of the grandstand? Or could you? In the social club? No, you could not. Not unless, or, not without creating a significant fire hazard, um, Nick Nabano. But I'm going to use that as a segue to talk about. Um, as I said, I didn't get a chance to see it in as much detail as I would have liked. But looking at Macarthur um, against Wellington Phoenix. One thing that I wanted to identify, possibly, you know, for a bit of crow, but I was liking, um, not crow, um, what's the word, a bit of a victory lap. Um, I was liking what I was seeing from Daniel Lazani against Wellington Phoenix. He was getting on the ball on the wing. He was running at defenders. This podcast has gone talked about at length about players being unwilling to run at defenders in the A-League men competition. Lazani was running at defenders. Um, he was trying to force the issue. He was trying to create things. He was getting to the byline. He was winning free kicks. I liked what I was seeing from Daniel Arzani. Was it great? No, he faded as the game went on. His opponent started to you know, get advantage of these one-on-ones. He didn't last the full 90. But I saw enough to be encouraged by what I was seeing, and especially in my belief that if he gets an extended run at it, if his body cooperates, if he does the work in the gym and on the training track to put his body in a position where it can um, cooperate, I th- I really am increasingly hopeful. One might even say confident that Daniel Arzani is going to have a good season for MacArthur. Um, and I especially... To be honest, there's a lot of question marks about Dwight York and his ability to coach. I think Dwight York being an inexperienced coach who played as a striker, a very naturally gifted striker, might work out for Daniel Arzani and maybe MacArthur's other more creative players as well because he might be more inclined to just let them cook, just not try to force them into holes. He might just try to just say, all right, do your thing. I'm not going to overcoach you because he doesn't know how. And you get players like Daniel De Silva, Ulysses De Villa, and Daniel Arzani given a bit more license to cook and license to do their thing and be creative. Now, of course, the exact opposite might occur, and Dwight York might be a massive control freak because he's a young and experienced coach and he's terrified of not being in control of everything. That might happen as well. But I could see a scenario where that happens and the former would be exciting for Daniel Arzani. And yes, I know, Ange fatigue, Kerr fatigue. Feels like looking at my social media, tons of people got Arzani fatigue um, in the past few years, but I think he's really, I, I believe that he still can be a real difference maker. Just on Arzani, I think the one thing you mentioned, Joey, is that obviously he faded as the game went on. I think one thing for people to keep in mind is he's still getting to his match fitness up. The guy's barely played for, what, four years? Like yeah. he's obviously it's gonna it's gonna take some time for him to get to a stage where he's gonna be able to play a full ninety. But even back at Melbourne City, I mean, he wasn't necessarily doing it for ninety minutes. But Warren Joyce used to use him in that in that burst, and he used to be um, he was unbelievable then. So Warren, I just yeah. wonder, if, I wonder if there'll be a similar strategy with uh, with Macarthur. If maybe sixty minutes of him might be enough to necessarily win them games. It could be. I mean, and Warren Joyce, like people don't realize just how like Azani really had to work sort of like against Warren Joyce's better instincts to get game time. I mean, the youth coach almost had to threaten to quit 
before Arzani was actually given a shot in the first team. That's, you know, that's sort of the handbrakes that Arzani was working on. So, yeah, I agree. Like, I really think that he's got, like, it could be exciting. And to go back to something that I said a few weeks ago, don't judge a fish on its ability to climb a tree. I give a toss if Daniel Arzani can't be a box-to-box midfielder for 90 minutes. It's not his job. I want him to go out there and run at defenders and make shit happen. And if he can only do that for 60 minutes, if he scores a goal and set or sets up a goal in that 60 minutes, it's what he's supposed to do. Isn't a player like that in the five subs era yeah. totally acceptable to have? Absolutely. You've got five changes. You don't have to you don't not everyone has to be a 90-minute player. No. You can have no, a few you... luxury players if you like. And Dwight York has shown a, I guess it's a statement of intent to to start with Toure, De Villa, Arzani, Carter, and De Silva all on the pitch at the same time. Yeah. I mean, outside of the back four, Bacchus is the only defensive minded player amongst them. So he's just I mean, this looks like Kevin Keegan stuff from uh I would love it. I would love it. I would love it. I would love it if the, this is the lineup that they go with for the A League season. It's uh, it's a point of difference from the usual, you know, coaches who are wedded to the double pivot. But if even if, like, say, you take out one of those players and you put in an extra defensive minded midfielder, say, for argument's sake, you start Jake Coleman or Mombois or Skatardis alongside Bacchus. And you have that extra luxury of having, say, Danny De Silva, Al Hassan Toure, even De Villa off the bench. That is a sensational player to bring on for the last half an hour when Arzani's gassed. And as you mentioned, Josh, in the five sub era, I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect. Like, and um, you know, that's I think that so many people have already written off Daniel Arzani, which really frustrated as frustrated, not just me, I think all of us, that, you know, people have said, oh, he's washed. How can a player at 23 or 24 years old be goddamn freaking washed? He's barely played for four years. He's been injured. If this guy comes out this year and has an amazing season, I'm sure everyone else will be back on the bandwagon with an instance of calling for him to be capped. Like, we know that this is going to happen. And I think what we're seeing so far is really promising. And I think going into this season, once he keeps getting that fitness up, I wouldn't even be surprised if he's among... This has gone really bold here, guys. But I genuinely think he'll be right up there if he has a big season to potentially win the Johnny Warren medal. Like, I'm I'm going bold here, fellas. I'm going big takes. But I reckon top five in the best players in, like for this season, if he has a big season, he could be right up there. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really bullish about him this year. Don't I mean, I, th- I think he's... I think he's certainly going to get picked in the Socceroos squads before the New Zealand series, but that's because effectively all the hints coming from Graham Arnold, it's, it's going to be significant dom- amount of domestic players and effectively two different squads for the two games, one squad for the Brisbane game, one squad for the New Zealand game. And, you know, there might be the likes of Alawa and Garang Kual called up for those as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the mix for that. Um, I don't think it, he's going to have to do a lot to make a World Cup squad, and I don't think he'll have enough time to do it. But, yeah, I agree like heading into the next, heading into this season and the years ahead, like, God, I'm setting myself up to be an ice cold takes exposed, but I am very hopeful. Yeah. And Arzani's still so young. Like we forget how young he started and how much of his career he potentially has left to go. So, mm-hmm. you know, if he's really going to make a splash and really be a great footballer, it probably has to start now. Um, probably has to restart now, I should say. 
Um, a couple of questions coming in. Uh, Jim asks, will Oakley lose Joe Knowles to Brisbane before or after the cup game? I believe it's, I think it's after Oakley finished their cup campaign. I think. I, my impression was that the Oakley season will will finish before Joe Knowles goes back to Brisbane. And he could be playing against Brisbane Raw in like, the final. Could you imagine if Raw well, insists that he signs with them before if they play Oakley in the uh, cup final? And Raw insists that he... If I that, mean, if I, that means Oakley are in the final, I'll take it. To be honest, um, but you know yeah, what? I, let let you know what that means. Let Nick Nyagar and Cook guys. That's what it means. I want that guy. They I, I Pakura and I have stocks in that guy, so I want to see Big him, Nick. You know, Big Nick up top, and you know what? Like you know what was great about this? All right, about Nick Nyagar. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Big Nick up top. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give Nick run them memes ideas, all right? <laughs> Nick, Nick, Nick to big. <laughs> In terms of Nick Nyagorod, like one thing I loved yesterday is he had the hair out yesterday when he was ready to come on. And I think when he has the hair out, he's ready for a big game. So I, want, I reckon that there's like he's like a Super Saiyan, right? So that's like his final form when the hair's out. So I reckon... If Joe Knowles can't play the final against Brisbane Raw and Nick Nyagoran is starting, that guy's going to go full Super Saiyan. He's going to win them the Australia Cup. So, But nonetheless, it's, 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 it's going to be a great occasion. Congratulations to Oakley. But I wish about the other semi guys. I mean, Brisbane Raw are through. They knocked off the Cup specialists and, of course, Sydney United as well. Can we see a Cup set there? Potentially. I mean, Sydney United scored an absolute banger in their game against Peninsula Power. Um, uh, Yanni Fragoyanis, just a pile driver into the top corner. And they've Albeit made a He should have of... given away a penalty 60 seconds earlier. That's true. Um, <laughs> but they've ridden their luck, Sydney United. That was their only shot on target of the game. And they're just, they're just riding a wave. It's just lightning in a bottle. I, I wouldn't put it past them. I, I don't think they're going to outplay Brisbane by any means. But could they secure a smash and grab win? It's not out of the realm of possibility, especially on their home deck that's artificial. Well, Vince Regari, Sydney Morning Herald journalist, said this last week that the way that they are playing is sort of set up for a lower tier side to go on a cup run. They're very defensively sound, they're very disciplined, they get numbers back behind the ball. And they are capable of going up the other end and then pinching one. It's sort of like they're using the Western United. Um, template from last season um, that launched them towards an A-League men championship. And you have to think Denza Park will be rocking when mm. Brisbane make the trip down. I mean, I have to imagine that, you know, the Sydney Croatia fans, I mean, the broadcast was saying, I'm saying I mean too much. The broadcast was saying that a 1,000 fans made the trek from New South Wales to Queensland for the um, game, uh, the quarterfinal. Imagine if how many will get around them for a home game against an A-League side with a potential Australia Cup final on the line. One imagines that the Sydney Croatia faithful will get out there in numbers, they'll be loud, and they will do everything they can to make Brisbane Raw as uncomfortable as possible. Now, one hopes that they do that without getting themselves in trouble and being too naughty, but it can be a real home ground advantage there at Adenza Park, especially as was mentioned also with that artificial surface. It is going to be super, super intriguing 
to catch that replay because the silly buggers have put it on in competition with the NPL Victoria Grand Finals. <laughs> Edmund asking a good question. Who who has a higher ceiling, Al Hassan Toure or Al Azani? I think I know my answer. Azani. Mm, Azani, a hundred percent. He's got a more. Uh, any, un- any... He's got a more unique skill set. Quick, quick pub quiz. How many A League goals has Al Hassan Toure scored? Is it two? F- Five, four. He's got twelve. So goals how many Australia three. Cup? Eight goals in the Australia Cup. Eight wow. goals in the Australia Cup. Four in the league. Twelve in sixty. In Can I clarify? So far. I think it will be easy. I think it is more likely that Al easier and more likely that Al Hassan Toure hits his ceiling, but I think Alzani's got a higher ceiling. If that makes mm. sense, I think sure. it's easier to maximise the skill set that. No, it's not easy, but I think it's more likely to maximise the skill set that Al Hassan Toure has than Daniel Lazani has. So Toure has the lower floor to his career. Uh, sorry, yes. the higher floor. High floor, I should yeah. say. The higher floor yeah. on his career, just because of the nature of his skill set compared to Lazani's. And uh, Geraldo going full uh, full nostalgia, saying, nice to have a Sydney United Brisbane national semi final 25 years on. Uh, it says play it at Parramatta and bring back Wayne Knipe and away goals. <laughs> did, did just Clint Bolton play in that game? Uh, Joey, I'm going to be real with you. I was two, so um, <laughs> I don't really remember. <laughs> we don't even have Young Boy on. We can't be having this. I know. Jeez. Um, so, uh, anything more on Australia Cup? Before we move uh, Forza Oakley. Sure, we'll talk about it again next week before they actually play MacArthur. But um, and we'll probably talk about it later in the NPL chat. But uh, congratulations to them on you know as well making the NPL Victoria Grand Final against South Melbourne next week. Going to be a ripping game. Do I mean they can't rest players for a Grand Final? Obviously, no, no. But you're going all win, out in both. If they win the Grand Final, how are they going to celebrate? Because they know they've got an Australia Cup semi final. You know, seventy two hours later. This just you know, adds heard- to the romance of the cup. Could you imagine if they knock MacArthur out whilst hungover? <laughs> non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic champagne, fellas. Carlton Zero. That's what you need to go with. All right. Like Other non-alcoholic beverages are available. Not a sponsor. Yes. Um, Coca-Cola, Sprite, Fanta. This is your moment. <laughs> Mountain Dew. Yeah, you 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 go and offer the winning team that um, Nick Demano, and you tell us how you get hey. on. Look, you know what? They can have a Sunday night. They celebrate Sunday and then back at it again on Monday. Ticker. Can you, but that'll be fine. I'm sure that this Oakley, is their first Oakley rodeo. Mad Monday after winning the MPL Grand Final. I, I, I imagine they'll just go hard and play hungover. Yeah. And you know what? They'll probably, they'll probably still find a way to be competitive. I mean, they're, they're playing against All Night Dwight. All Night Dwight would probably appreciate the hustle. He'll probably join them. He'll probably join them before the game. <laughs> just, Actually. Just... Just a quick one, like, and Lockie and I were actually talking about this, like playing at Jack Edwards Reserve, like that, we talked about Sydney United having that, that pitch being like, you know, in their favor with the artificial turf, but Jack Edwards Reserve is a weird pitch. And I think that this will really suit Oakley hungover or not, just the dimensions and the way they want to play. Cause it's so, it's, it's, it's not at, like the typical sort of A-leg size pitch. So I've got this feeling that I reckon that, you know, on that pitch, doesn't matter what it is, they're going to cause problems. There's something about Jack Edwards Reserve at night that just causes some weird things, unless you're Eastern Lions, because they got a point against Oakley there on a Friday night. So take a book, a leaf out of their book. 
Jack Edwards, uh, I was talking about this with Lockie the other day. Uh, it has a propensity for great games because it's so small. It just it's end to end all the time, and the ball just zips Helter off skelter. that. Helter skelter, bro. Daniel Arzani is Daniel Arzani is gonna have so much fun on that pitch. Like it's gonna be like a futsal pitch for him. Like he's I don't gonna know. Love it. There's also gonna be a lot of physicality about the game as well. He's probably gonna cop a few big tackles. And I mean, there won't be a lot. Imagine of space. Anthony Pandazopoulos or Fashini going straight through. Tyson Fashini's gonna light him up. I know. <laughs> Tyson Tyson Holmes as well. Bit of a uh, bit of bit of argy bargy. Tyson, Tyson Holmes will, will tread on the back of his ankle with his studs and then pretend he didn't mean it and help him up. And, and, I, and then, know, then the Tyson Holmes or Tyson Holmes will say he got fouled and then he'll win a free <laughs> kick. <laughs> See, this is what you don't get on other podcasts. We can tell you the shithousery tactics of the teams before they happen. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I say that with affection, by the way, for Tyson yeah, Holmes. Oh, we exactly, love, we love, exactly we love what Tyson. I was like as a footballer. Just... Best friends with the referee, but actually doing incredibly dirty stuff behind play that nobody noticed. So, Hey guys, we know you love your footy, but perhaps you fancy a bit of rugby too. If so, then why not check out ESPN Scrum Reset, where Sam Bruce and Christy Doran discuss all the hot topics in the game, from Super Rugby to the Wallabies and All Blacks, and even further afield. Available wherever you get your pods. Um, let's, uh, let's move on. Um, Joey, you wanted to talk A-League marquees because, um, you know, the big marquee fund, the big sugar hit strategy, uh, in Danny Townsend's words, I must, uh, uh, hasten to add, has not exactly come off in spades. Lewis Nani, obviously a fantastic acquisitions, um, uh, but, uh, Charlie Austin, I guess you can lump into that category as well. Uh, his NRI score is, is a, continues to be a matter of debate. Uh, as does Mario Balotelli's, but that's a story for another day. Um, Eight. This is this is apparently a three-year campaign, and uh, not to be judged in this offseason. Yeah, that is the line coming from APL CEO Danny Townsend. Spoke to him uh, last week, and indeed, yes, we are in a three-year marquee strategy. The the, the sugar will continue to flow for at least the next three years was the actual line, not just three-year strategy. It was at least three years. Obviously, the reason I was asking him what the go with the marquee strategy is, as you said, Josh, they've only been able to land Nanny. Um, Effectively, he did confirm in that interview that if you have read in the reputable, you know, mainstream papers um, about, players being linked to the A-League men, the likes of your Fabregas's um, and your Dries Martins. Whilst he didn't outright say them, he said he didn't read much stuff that was wrong, confirming that those were the types. He also did say the conversation had happened with Ensign Cavani. Um, but obviously, that didn't come up either, and now he's signed in Europe. So He's signed at Valencia, like the guy yeah, like play. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think... Effectively, when analysing this sort of situation, there's two different things that you need to analyse. One is the veracity of the marquee strategy. We've done that on the show numerous times in the past, whether or not it's something worthwhile. Um, My position was that I'm fine with a marquee strategy as long as it's not coming at the expense of all the other shit that you're supposed to do. Basically, eat your vegetables first and then have your sugar. But the other avenue of analysis is, okay, it's obvious that the APL is doing this, so casting aside your own feelings about the veracity of a marquee strategy, 
you analyze is the APL doing a good job of imp- you know putting in place their marquee strategy it's not come across right now and i think they sort of had to they have to make this a multi-year strategy now because i think they have gone out into the market and they have seen oh shit this is really hard like these players are marquees needle movers for a reason like you need a perfect storm to bring in a player like Nani, to bring in a player like Del Piero, to bring in a player like Keske Honda, a lot of stuff needs to go right. And they're struck out on a number of different players. So the strategy has to be there. You can't just enter into this thing and decide to abandon it after one season. I don't think you can do that. So I think the three-year strategy, yes, it's funny. Yes, I went back and looked at the comments. It was never mentioned as a three-year strategy when these it first came out. But I think a three-year strategy is what you have to do with this if you have committed to it, especially with, as Townsend pointed out, January uh, the January window coming with a winter World Cup, a, winter, a North American Winter World Cup happening, players hanging on for that. You sort of have... That's a once-in-a-lifetime challenge. You sort of have to see what happens in January, even before you judge the marquee strategy for this year, whether or not you think it is a good idea. I don't... If I was to grade the marquee failure for the 2022-2023 campaign right now, it would be a fail. But it's not over. You're great grading the marquee failure, Joey. The marquee strategy. Otherwise, otherwise you grade it as a failure before you've graded it. Um, (laughs) You're grading the marquee failure a failure. (laughs) No, but you know what I mean. Sorry, sorry. I'll I'll rephrase that. Nobody take me out of context. If I was to grade the marquee strategy for the 2022-23 season right now, it would be a failure because they only landed one when they were trying to land three or four. But being very charitable, let's wait until January. But... Yeah, they they need to deliver in January. Otherwise, this thing is a failure. Yeah, genuine question about that. Because I I remember when they did obviously announce that they were going for the full sugar hits in this offseason. I I guess it didn't really come to mind about the World Cup sort of being something that a lot of players were hanging on to. Because I guess the players that we were also the APL were always targeting. We always thought, well, they're players that are retired from international football. So they wouldn't really be looking at that. But then when you think about Dries Mertens, Edinson Cavani, and of course as well, well, I think they're the two that mainly come to mind sort of first, well, of course they're going to be targeting the World Cup because they're actually still playing for their respective national teams. But I wonder, like, realistically, guys, how many players could you realistically see in January turning around saying after the World Cup, well, I'm done and I've already signed a contract with someone else, but now I'm going to make that move? Because there's not as many free agents by the time January comes around. So they're going to have to go for – they're going to have to actually try and strike a transfer fee or a loan deal. Like, 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 how do you guys see that? I mean, there's also mutual terminations that might come into it. It's I very think. rare, though. Very rare. And some people, some people are are on short term comments. Keen on the mutual termination as Australia, we have a unique fascination <laughs> with that particular arrangement. I mean, somebody like a Luis Suarez only signed a contract till the World Cup, so he becomes a free sure. agent after the World Cup. So, yeah, but yeah, it's going to be difficult. And like, they're still free agents now. Like, is it one matter? remains a, a free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Aaron Lennon's a free agent. He's yeah, got the, a, that well, EPL NRI. I'll so just put up a whole a, list of players. Yeah. Um, 
So there's one, a of, few. one of them being Daniel Sturridge. Lol. <laughs> As if anyone would go in for him again. Imagine, imagine if Perth said, "Daniel, we know last season didn't go so well. How come about home. a do-over? How would you like to come and back up Stefan Kolakowski?" Yeah, exactly. Well, really, well, really, like looking at this list. I mean, we've we've gone over these sort of free agents for so long, but realistically, I mean, Marcelo just signed for Olympiacos, so we can forget about him. But one Mutter, I think, would be an awesome signing. I reckon Ross Barkley. Like, I'm, I'm talking like talking Premier League NRI. I think he rates quite high. I don't see someone like Jason Denier or Dan Axel Zagadu at still quite a decent age. Dan Axel Zagadu is like 23. Like he's yeah, he's, he's, being, he's being linked to Roma for God's sake. So like there's no way he's coming to Australia. But uh, I mean, someone like Danny, I mean, Danny Drinkwater is not going to move the marker, but he's got NRI, I guess. And so does Aaron Lennon and uh, Ben Arthur. I mean, ben Arthur has been linked with the A-League for, for God knows how many years now. Um, and even someone like, you know, as we mentioned, Ross Barkley, Nolito, Diego Costa would be great. But I mean, let's see. I mean, as you said, sort of Joey, like January, I mean, ha- all right. What's the pass mark in January though? Like how many marquee signings is a pass in January? Is it two? Is it three? Is it two, including Nani? Is it maybe two men's players, one women's player? Like what, what do you, how do you guys sort of grade a pass for the APL in January? I'd like to see them add two more players. Not including Nani. So bring it up to three. If it was one men's, one women's, or would you want two men's? Two men's player and a women's player, preferable. I just think they're going to be they're going to find it tough to find a player in January. But I think this, yeah. this is just holding many... them accountable for their own words. Yeah. I guess it just depends how many of these players want to sit around for four months. But I guess these players could still sign any time now. Like they could sign in November if they want. They could sign during the World Cup, for God's sake. Like it doesn't have to necessarily be in January if they're free agents. Oh, so they so... can play in the Sydney Super Cup. Yeah, that's where they debut. It's the big draw. Oh, dear. But like um, I said, ultimately, a lot of this comes down to not just who they can land, but also are they doing, for me, it comes back to are they doing the other stuff in the background, mm-hmm. which I sort of think gets into our next segment as but one of those things like are the marquees, are they delivering marquees, but not everything else? Like, honestly, I won't shed a tear if they can't land any marquees, but they do everything else right. While we're talking about A-League signings, I think it's worth digging into a couple of the ones that have been announced in the past week or two. Uh, We had a Western United fan get at us on Twitter um, asking about uh, Tongo Dumbia, the new six-foot-four Malian central midfielder that Western United signed. And uh, Aliga asking about the potential um, Melbourne City move for Valon Berisha. I mean, potentially probably been, the more more recognizable name. Yeah, he's been Instagramming pictures of his uh, flight to Melbourne. <laughs> unless he's <laughs> unless he's unless, unless unless he's unless he's swerving us and he's just coming for the finals. Maybe he just wants to be here for footy finals. Maybe he's a secret AFL fan. <laughs> he's a he's <laughs> a guest side. player for Oakley. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, Sign for Danny Nong Thunder ahead of next year's NPL season. <laughs> to 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 answer about Tongo Dumbia, look, I haven't seen too much of him at all, really. I hadn't. I'm just looking through. I mean, he's played at a decent level. He played for Wolves when they were in the championship in League One. Played for Toulouse, ran Dinamo Zagreb. I mean, he fills the gap of a foreign six. So jury's still out as to whether this will actually be a decent move. I guess we'll wait and see once he gets on the pitch. But one signing that's actually not really a signing for West United, uh, Joey. I think you're going to get to it. 
But Alexander Prijevic sticking around, big thumbs up. That That is massive. So Western United actually uh, would have been, I'm not going to say proverbially just in the mud if Prijevic left because it would have had not much time to go and get another striker. But my God, that's massive that he's sticking around. But I just hope he's, you know, he switched on. He's actually wants to be here because we see when players stick around, they're not necessarily, their head's not really in it, that it can affect their performances. And hopefully he's been training because, I mean, last season it took him forever to get up to speed. So hopefully, you know, it's not going to take as long this time around um, and he's ready to go from day dot. But him just sticking around this season, if they can keep him for the full year, is massive. And hopefully he can deliver in the same amount of spades for them. So uh, curious to see what happens. As for Valen Barisha, I think it's a great signing if City get him. He was playing for Lazio only a couple of years ago. It didn't really work out for him, but he's a quality player. I think he's going to be great for Melbourne City. I just hope he bloody plays. That's all. Because he... <laughs> he's he, 29. Yeah. I mean, he's still at a good age. Like, that's the thing. He's at a really good age. Like, he could still be here for the next two or three years if it really works out and get some good football from him too. So, does he displace one of the... the uh, are you just about to sound the, the klaxon, the Pucciarelli klaxon? Well, you know, that's why that's why I said I hope he plays because he's he's actually quality. Like this guy is a gun, man. Like he could be good. So I, I'd like to see him. You know, actually, I mean, God knows how long it's going to take for him to get up to speed because we know with you know some of these players, PK might want to you know ease him into it. He's going to be starting on the back foot. He likes his players who've been training with him the whole way, who've got up to a certain level of fitness. So I don't know if that changes with Valen Barisha, but uh, I think that. Personally, there is a level as well of apprehension. I still get worried when foreign players have signed for Melbourne City only because of what the track record has been over the last couple of seasons. Like, I'm just saying, it's not just a Pucciarelli flashbacks every time. This is, this is, this is not just the Pucciarelli situation. This is a Sabasa Endo situation. This is a Nawaki Sabaki situation. We've seen that many foreigners come to Melbourne City and bar maybe Carl Jenkinson and Nuno Raish over the last couple of years have been able to, to solidify a spot in the team, um, not including Florin Berengags. He's been there from beforehand, but not many have actually been able to sort of, you know, solidified their spot it's sort of been this core group and then sprinkling in as you know players who are known quantities here in Australia so I, I am I am curious because I think he's certainly good enough to start and actually be somewhat of a transformative presence in that Melbourne City front line even though I don't think that's the area they really should be targeting to be fixing up I think it's the other end of the pitch they should be looking at before they're looking at getting more wingers on board unless this is a sign of maybe someone's on the move guys have we ever thought well, about that? Maybe there's something that's in the moving, uh, some moving parts of this situation. Well, they do certainly need midfield reinforcements because been told that in their preseason friendly against the Mariners yesterday, they went with uh, Caputo, Jamison, and Lecky in the midfield. <laughs> True. Caputo is a is is an out and out number nine, by the way, for people who haven't yeah. seen him play. So we were talking about utilization before. Yeah, I'm not quite certain that that's the best utilization of those three's talents. I've heard uh, Paddy Kiznorbo is looking at Larissa Crummer to fill a gap at right back. <laughs> she played for well, City under PK, didn't she? That's yeah, true, actually. Yeah, look, the, the, the beauty of Valen Barisha is he can play as a 10, but he can also play out wide as well. So that's something to keep an eye on. Because for, for Lazio, I mean, he played out wide. He's like midfield three. Sure. He has to play in that midfield three. Like, you'd think that he's filling Conor Metcalf's spot. Like, that's the... The replacement oh. there. So poor Richard Vanderven. Poor Richard Vanderven. That's all I'm saying. I, I'm, well, also, I'm, kinda... I'm also excited to see this guy because he can shoot from distance. I, I've oh, yeah. had a look at some of his highlights and some of his stats. 14 out of his 27 goals for Red Bull Salzburg came from outside the box. Hmm. Decent going. So, well, so I'm hoping on... to see a couple of bangers from him. 
On Connor Metcalf, congratulations to him, schooling for St. Pauli overnight. Yeah. Nice one. Off the mark in Germany. I should... Yeah, I should just just to confirm exactly what I was saying was in terms of reinforcements, I was more talking about if they're going to play him out wide because their front three is stacked. But I was more talking about if he's going to play in midfield, good. But I think as well they still need to look at what's happening in defence. Unless I mean, I, I'm curious how Thomas Slam goes if he's playing in the back four as well. Um, but yeah, defensively they they still have some problems they've got to sort out as well. So uh, I, for City, I'm very curious to see how it all plays out in four weeks' time because the season is only just around the corner now, guys. Like it's 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 going to be it's going to be interesting to see how these teams actually are when it all comes about. Because I mean, City's form in the Australia Cup, and I mean, they barely had a team to put out there against the Mariners yesterday, but it hasn't necessarily been too promising just yet. I know it's hard, it's easy to judge preseason form, and I think they will be right up there again next season. But um, yeah, I'm curious to see how long it takes for Borussia to be integrated into the squad. And, um, you know, will PK go with him straight away? You know, he hasn't been with them since day one of preseason, or will he sort of be integrated in slowly um, over a period of time? Because he's certainly good enough. Yeah, I mean, Barisha, I think his CV speaks for himself. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of Dumbia, he hasn't played at a really high level since, say, twenty eighteen. Um, I don't. Yeah, it depends how highly you rate, I guess, the UAE. And then he most recently played in Kazakhstan, uh, which is pretty pretty left field. So. I think jury's out on on uh, on Tongo Dumbia until we we actually see him in action. Um, does does Dumbia even contest. start? Does Dumbia start ahead? Of, like, will he will he displace Kilkenny or Lusticos, the tried and trusted uh, pit, double pivot in midfield? Um, well, I mean, I think Lustica will play. Um, Kilkenny's a year older, you know, a year closer to to calling it calling it quits. So mm. I think that there's a chance that, um, and also Reese Bozanowski has been playing a lot in preseason. Um, and Australia Cup games. So uh, I think probably Dumbia uh, displaces Bozanowski in the pecking order, unfortunately. Which is a Um, shame, real shame. Yeah, but there was always going to be signings made and always going to be quality coming ahead of him. I would imagine Kilkenny's place is more under threat than Lushtitz's in that team. Yeah, I I think Lushtitz's is is basically nailed on. Poor Seb Pasquale. (laughs) Poor Luke (laughs) Giselle. Seth Pasquale, signed, Seth Pasquale signed a new deal for this season. That's all I'm yeah, going to he say. He's, uh, How old is Seth Pasquale? I think he's like 22. Oh, he'd qualify for a loan. Uh, turns 23 in November. Does that still, still count? qualified for a loan, I think. Yeah, I think of plenty of teams you could do with him. Yeah, that's true. Um, maybe, maybe Sydney based on uh, the performance <laughs> against Oakley the other night. Um, actually, there was a question we didn't, uh, a comment we didn't get to from Geraldo saying, um, you know, shout out to Burgess in the midfield three, now having the stink of that defeat on him. And uh, I, I think Corica, like I, I, after that loss, I can totally see Steve Corica saying, right, the four three three revolution is over. We're going back to the tried and true, the column, uh, you know. <laughs> the um, column. <laughs> yeah, this, this, just, this thing. Um, Do you reckon I, he just puts his hands up and just goes? <laughs> that's the signal. This is it. There's, there's well, PK signal for switching the ball, which is the arms out wide. Yeah. And then there's the Corica signal for going back to the tried and so, true. So, so, so PK's got... The tram, the, the, the tram rails. So, so PK's got the field goal is good and Corica's got all clear six <laughs> points. Like, <laughs> that's basically using other codes of football. That's different strategies. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
Uh, let's get to another of your articles from this week, uh, Joey. National Youth League. Is, well, we, we had a question about the uh, NPL final series, which that's um, that's that's not that's, that's it's not in the DMC. The I can't actually find the uh, the question, um, but oh, here it is. Um, is the NPL uh, championships happening this year? And it's has not it happening. The cup? It doesn't exist anymore. I don't know why we're still calling it the NPL in that case because there's nothing national about them. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's dead in the water, unfortunately. Uh, and I don't think those NPL national finals really caught captured the imagination. Nobody as, cared as intended. It well, was. no, no, no. The, I think Wollongong cared when they won. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. They never captured national attention. No, um, but the National Youth League is another competition mm. that won't be returning is anytime it? soon. <laughs> It doesn't. Let me finish yeah, my sentence, it? Joey. Yeah. <laughs> was a competition <laughs> and won't be resurrected anytime soon. Uh, Danny Townsend telling you in uh, via ESPN that they're waiting to see what happens with the national second division before they make uh, any moves with regard to the Y League. Again, A League Y is it will probably be A League Youth. Yes. Again, need to compartmentalize um, my analysis of this situation. Were I in Danny Townsend's position, I would absolutely see why this course of action had been pursued. No real point in bringing back a youth league if you just have to change its entire model once a su summer national second division is launched. Um, that would, you know, there's no point. Um, the risks involved... Again, speaking from Danny Townsend's perspective, I can see why you'd want to wait and potentially have the conversation surrounding including A-League youth sides in the National Second Division. I get that from Townsend's position as APL CEO, as uh, the CEO of an organisation that represents the interests of A-League's clubs. Understand that. Can, you know, and I can understand where the narrative that he fashions coming from around this is best for development, it's best for producing young talent for A-League's clubs, or go, it's best for producing talent for the Socceroos, which means it's best for producing talent for Australian football. I can see how he's constructed that thought process. I get it. So from an analysis of Danny Townsend doing his job, Danny Townsend is doing his job, and he's probably doing a good job in that sense looking after the interests of the APL. Now, yeah, I'll let you guys go before I get to the other parts of what I was going to say. Otherwise, I'll go for a while. I, I think this is a classic example of what Teo was talking about last week, which is putting something in the too hard basket um, by way of throwing the responsibility back to the other governing body. So the... APL and Football Australia are so good at telling us what they're not responsible for and slinging something back over the fence. And this is another classic example of that, which is, well, we can't put an A-League um, youth league, you know, an, a, a Y-League uh, resurrection uh, back in place until uh, Football Australia to definitively tell us which teams are going to be in the National Second Division. And it's just, I think it's just, an I application think... of responsibility and I don't think... It's a realistic uh, chance that A League youth sides will initially be uh, included in a national second division. I just don't. I just don't believe that. Just for the record, Tanny Townsend did say that the biggest factor for him wasn't 
was the timing of the league above who will be in it. So I just wanted to point that out for the record, even though it doesn't really mess with your point, Josh. Yeah, and the yeah the start dates. They haven't confirmed the start dates. They haven't confirmed which teams will be participating in it. Therefore, there is no onus on us to actually kickstart youth development in this country. I, I think it's an abdication of responsibility. Like I, said, I don't know. I just I can I, see I, I can see why he's saying that, but yeah, yeah. I, so, I don't know. I just think it, I just think it's a little bit disappointing. Like I just find it really disappointing to be honest. Like the fact that this keeps getting sort of delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And I guess it's nothing new here in Australian football. Everything just seems to get pushed back by one year. Um, and look. I understand, Joe, as you said, Danny's point in regards to timing and regards to, you know, wanting to wait and see. But I get this worry. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but is there this worrying feeling about that maybe there's a sense that they want to have A-League youth teams in a national second division, which we have spoken about at length, will is not the answer. It's not something that I think that we think should be pursued. Um, I know there's a certain section of, you know, People in the soccer Twitter fraternity or just in Australian football fraternity believe that, you know, uh, youth sides should be propelled to the top tier of NPL or into a national second division. But I don't know, that that just concerns me a little bit, that we're still waiting, 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 waiting into a second division that I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if it's just this deep sort of lying sort of paranoia that uh, has overcome me. But I, I really hope that's not the case where we see not even an A-League youth, but just see Melbourne Victory youth playing Preston Lions again. Like we just saw in, in MPL three, but just in a national second division, and we're seeing, um, not seeing necessarily MPL on planes, but instead we're seeing, you know, all we're seeing twelve of those sides being youth teams, and I'll, to be honest, I'm just not a fan of that. It's interesting moving forward. I think if the national second division ends up being in a winter staging, um, I think the presence of youth side a-league youth sites being um not parachuted to the wrong word being made foundational members and being given protected status in that league is almost a non-starter we've seen football australia push back on the concept of um a-league youth sites being um part of the foundation in an interview with myself james johnson a few months ago described it as being a senior competition with a youth development flavor i've spoken to potential participant clubs um from the existing npl that have talked about you know possibilities of having a minimum amount of under 23s on the pitch at any time or in squads or that sort of thing the big thing um it's going to be interesting if the NSD ends up as a summer competition. That is going to be interesting, I think, because you can certainly see where the push will come from. Like, why would we stage our own youth league in winter? We can play our youth sides in the NPL in the winter. And then why would we have a youth competition during the summer when we can just put youth sides in the second division? That, I think, is where the showdown will come from and again this is me compartmentalizing my analysis and just analyzing it without personal opinion coming in i can see that being the showdown and i can also potentially be see that being the showdown in terms of the costs of a summer versus winter competition how many teams want to take part in a summer competition versus a winter competition do the apl come along and say you need people to make up the numbers will fund help fund fund it and help get it off the ground 
So that's a potential showdown that I can see. Taking my compartmentalized, well, ju jumping into another compartment now, my own personal opinions in alignment with you guys. I don't like the concept of youth sides being a foundational part of a national second division and given protected status. Um, I have no... I have no problems with youth sides winning their way into a national second division that's linked with the rest of the pyramid. If Sydney FC, Western Sydney Wanderers, Perth Glory, Adelaide United, Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory, whatever, are able to win their way into a national second division one day and survive in a national second division based on their talent and what they put on the punk, that's fine. I just think that the national second division especially at its formative stages. I've been to youth games. I covered Melbourne City's youth team on a good day. Like Melbourne City play at Parade College. There's no stands. They'd get outside of parents and friends. They'd struggle to get into the teens in fans attending their youth games. Those numbers would obviously swell in a second division, but I'd rather see teams like Preston with thousands of fans Sydney United with thousands of fans, Adelaide City with thousands of fans, and greater growth potential than youth sides given first crack at the National Second Division in a situation where I, wherein they are able to sustainably enter such a competition and sustainably fund the cost associated with that. So that was a very careful answer but no i think it's uh, i think it's fair it's more balanced than mine my knee-jerk response to the to the comment but um yeah i don't i i i do see this kind of separation of powers causing a few issues um that that's that's i guess my takeaway of it i think uh, ultimately from... yeah sorry go ahead no 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 i think ultimately it's going to come down to money yeah who can pay mm. who that's can pay true. to take part how many can pay to take part? And yeah, effectively that. It always is, isn't it? It's always, always comes down to the cold, hard cash. And speaking of cold, hard cash, uh, a, a significant chunk could be coming the Central Coast Mariners way uh, if Alu, uh, sorry, uh, Garang Qual, let's get the right Qual, uh, is granted a move in January to one of the super clubs allegedly circling him. Uh, Last week's panellist Vince Rigari reporting in the City Morning Herald that Barcelona, Chelsea and Newcastle United are amongst his potential suitors. And it seems as if as the much maligned A-League All-Stars concept uh, has actually had one lasting legacy, which is Garen Quoll impressing uh, in, uh, ahead of the, uh, the, the big wigs at Barcelona. Well... I mean, it's 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 pretty damn cool if it happens, but uh, I hope that that you know if he makes that move to a, a big club. I mean, the most important thing is he's still playing, so hopefully some loan deals are in the are in the pipeline for him. Um, I mean, the we spoke about the A League All Stars game and how it was really just a novelty exhibition match, but if it launched launches Garang Qual's career into stardom, I mean, the APL be loving it, won't they? Uh, so expect the A-League All-Stars game to not be going anywhere, guys, and maybe become exclusively a youth game. Maybe that's what the A-League youth is. The A-League youth All-Stars versus Barcelona every year. <laughs> um, so, no, nah, but look, on a serious note, it, it, it is really cool. But hopefully, I mean, 
it, should this deal come to fruition, uh, we see a similar sort of trajectory with uh, we've seen with Alu, how you know he's been able to go out on loan, get some minutes, sort of build his way up over a few over a season or so, and then eventually be ready to to play at the at the highest level, whether uh, for that club or whatever it might be. So yeah, uh, I'm I'm curious to see how it all plays out and whether it um if it does you know actually come to fruition. Do you think him signing for a club of that size is good for his development at this point? Um, for a super club? We, we, yeah, we mentioned his potential loan move um, could be <laughs> in the offing. I guess being in that environment, even if it's playing mm. with the second team, uh, could be beneficial. I envision him staying with the second team for a while before getting a loan out. I mean, it's very exciting to see him link with super teams, but it's no guarantee of success. Like he's mm. got to pick the right situation. I mean, there's a few players in the NPL that are former Chelsea youth prospects, for you know, former Premier League youth prospects, former La Liga prospects. It's just because you're on the books at a super club doesn't mean you've made it. Mm. Like these super clubs, eat, let's talk about seven figure fee and all of that sort of stuff. Some of these super clubs actually can afford to just throw away a seven figure you know, transfer on a prospect and have no qualms about like just moving on from them at a moment's notice, like a seven figure fee for a Barcelona or a newly cashed up sports washing project in Newcastle United. Sorry, that's exactly what it is. A sports washing project um, is a seven figure sum to them is not the same thing as a seven figure sum to an Eredivisie club or even a, you know, mid-Serie A club. Like, well, like I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say Barcelona are exactly rolling in money at the moment. I mean, they'd be lucky if they could register Garen Quall's wages on their books. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm getting at here? Like, a seven-figure sum is not equal for everybody. So just because it's a seven-figure sum to a super club is no guarantee of success. I remember speaking to agents and coaches about all of this stuff the biggest thing that you want when you're transferring to a foreign club is investment mm. you want them to actually be invested in your progress to the senior team whether that's through a transfer fee whether that's through a sell-on fee that they can attract for you in the line something like that like it's all like it's always preferable to go to a club for a fee rather than on a free transfer it's always preferable, to, you know, those sort of things. You want the club to actually want you to succeed as a matter of principle, not it would be nice if you succeed. So that's how I foresee this. Oh, sometimes you get paid more if you go on a free, to be fair. But um, sometimes you get a big, big signing bonus. That, uh, yeah, yeah, which no, is I, great, I but you've got to balance that up. Yeah. Like, and the, it's, a, it's a career. Secure the bag. Yeah. And for the Mariners as well, they've got dollar signs in their eyes at the moment, I bet. The, the the only thing that I hold a bit of, you know, reservations about as well is, I mean, if he's going to a, a big club, is he's only played nine games of football. Is that big enough of a sample size plus an exhibition game that's 10? 10 games of senior football, sorry. He hasn't played that there his whole life. It's not a Santiago Munoz situation, but it's a 10 games of, you know, senior football. Is that enough of a sample size? I mean, he's been brilliant in that, in that spell, but... Did you he know, actually start any of those games? I don't think he started any of those games uh, off the top of my head. 
But I mean, he had ten amazing appearances. Like he was sensational in in, in most of them. Um, so I I am just very very curious to see what what the next move is from here because yeah, he's going to have to keep playing. And I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I think even if like even if this move doesn't come to fruition, as he said, he's just chilling, man. He's chilling. He's 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 not fussed either way. I mean, at this at this point in time, but what he told Vince, if he can stick if he sticks around the Mariners, he'll get games. He'll probably play every week. I mean, he probably good chance he might even start. Like, let's be real. Um, so another year of development for him could be good for him down here. But if he makes that move, secure the bag, brother. Secure the bag, Central Coast. Like, it'd be good for them. So I'm I'm very very. Very. I'm going to keep a keen eye on this over the next few weeks to see, I guess, how what like what 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 club he goes to. Because as Lazar Eleven has, you know, kind of said in the comments, if he goes to Barcelona, God, like how many youngsters have signed at Barcelona over the years, and it hasn't really worked out for them. I know that they've given guys like Pedri and Gavi who have come through, and it's worked out quite well for them. But think of someone like uh, Rike Pig who's you now playing in the MLS. So I don't know. I I, I have my Rick, reservations either way. Ricky push. Ricky push. Sorry, I got Ricky push. I always get it wrong. I don't know how to say. Yeah, push. Because he's sorry. He's, all, he's pudgy. Did you see his first goal? Yeah. By the way, Fair I late. did. It was it, it oh was very goodness. nice. Uh, I did want to add, like, none of us, none of the three of us, are downplaying Garang's talent and potential. Absolutely. Like he's obviously an incredibly talented player who's got a bags of potential. I mean, Josh, I think a few months ago you were talking about. Why wasn't he getting called up to the under-23s team when Aloha was and all of that sort of stuff? And as I said earlier in this show, would not surprise me in the slightest if him and Aloha get called up for these games against New Zealand, the farewell games, just to see. I think actually Vince wrote it in that article as well, so credit him, just to see what they do. None of us are downing that, but that, this is what we do on TNC. We, <laughs> we try to analyse these situations mm. and look at the potential ramifications of this move. And that is our question. You know, he's got natural talent, real massive amounts of potential, but it's ne there's never anything guaranteed in football. And this situation, whatever situation he goes to, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the A-League men. Some players can go away at a young age and excel and yeah. thrive in a foreign environment. Maybe he stays. Like We're getting some comments saying they'd like to see him stay with the Mariners as well as your thoughts, Nick. It's a potential thing, yes. There's no guarantees. There's no one right path. You just have to hope that there's long, hard thoughts around what is the best path for Garang more than signing with Barcelona or the biggest fee. Because ideally... If he goes into a great situation, this seven-figure fee becomes a lot bigger and those wages that he's on are a lot bigger when he signs his next contract, when he gets his next move. That's the moneymaker. This, this move isn't the moneymaker. It's the next move and the move after that that really, you know, sets you up for life. Well, let's hope yeah, it's yeah. not like too too many moves. Otherwise, we might see him do the full circle and we don't want to see any situation where he gets loaned out and, you know, transferred off and farmed off to too many clubs. Uh, just on that, I'm Joey, just... in terms of Alu and... Sorry, Josh, just a quick quick little thing. If Garang and Alu get called up, geez, imagine the furor from some parts of soccer Twitter because if Christian Volpato doesn't get selected and Garang Cole does. 
<laughs> no, I'm just okay. saying, because everyone will say, well, you called Garan Quall up. Why didn't they call up Volpata all those months ago as well? So um, there'll be some people that will probably bring up that comparison. See, so you, you complain about us running the meme into the ground <laughs> and then you bring it up on Tom. No, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, there, there, there will be people that will probably ask the question. Like, let's be real. There probably will be. So I'm just pointing it out before it happens. No doubt inspired by you bringing it up. Just saying here, Nick Nirvana. Well, I'm I'm just glad. Look at he, I can't tell if he. Oh, he had frozen. He was frozen. My, <laughs> no, I wasn't frozen. Moved. I just, I just, I just, I just, I sat. I, yeah. Somebody turned the Two microwave on. <laughs> uh, let's talk Iden Hrustic while we're talking about uh, big moves. Uh, signing for Hellas Verona in Serie A uh, after his move to Eintracht Frankfurt didn't quite work out, um, but another. Australian playing in Serie A for the first time in quite some time uh, with the senior squad, I should hasten to add. Uh, Nick Dubano, what can he expect to find um, at Hellas? What kind of situation uh, is, is, is he going to be walking into? I am extremely, extremely, extremely bullish about this signing. I am... I am all in, guys. I am... Pushing I chips am, my, into the middle of the table. Yeah, my chips You're are yellow all in. Your chips. This, yeah, I am very, very bullish about this signing uh, for a number of reasons. Firstly, for, for Aiden's development, he's going to play. That's the first thing. He's going to play for a good club. Hellas Verona have sort of solidified themselves as a Serie A team. They're not necessarily a side that's battling relegation, even though they've had a bit of a, a shaky start to the season, but not necessarily a bad start. They pushed Napoli early in the season, but they've been lacking a midfield presence. Um, ever since they've moved on from Igor Tudor to Gabriele Cioffi, uh, they've gone from playing two forwards to now playing in five in midfield. So they've gone from, you know, playing two in behind Giovanni Simeone to now playing a flat three uh, with one six and two eights. And they've looked a bit, a little bit shaky in there. They sold Antonin Barak to Fiorentina, which a lot went through him. Uh, he's kind of a polarizing player. He's a goals and assists merchant. So Josh, you'd love him. Uh, but I think that it's... Um, I think that Hrustic is the, the quote-unquote replacement for him because Barak moved earlier in the week. Hrustic comes in. He's got the number 10 jersey. So if you want as much of a, a big endorsement, Hellas Verona have given him the number 10. So it looks like he's going to be thrusted straight in. And the style of football they play is Hellas Verona like to get on the ball. Like this is a team that doesn't sort of shy away and play counter-attacking football and like to necessarily see possession. They'll take it right to teams. Like against Napoli in match day one, they took it right to them and tested them. All the way through. I'm just double checking. Was any was Napoli or Lazio? I'm just having a bit of a, a bit of that no, was Napoli. They play Lazio next week, um, and they lost that game four two. They were really really competitive, and then since then, some in, in different form. A one one draw against Bologna, a one nil loss against Atalanta again, where they took it right to them. They actually created nearly as many chances as them. They battled them right to the end, and a one one draw against Empoli. So I'm very curious to see whether he gets a start against Sampdoria tonight. That game's at 2 a.m. If anyone's interested, or if you know you're listening on the pod later, you know go back and watch the game if you haven't. I think it's going to be really really curious to see whether he starts. But I think as time goes on, if he doesn't start in the first game, it's a matter of time before he is. And I think that this is the perfect move for him. It's a mid-table CDR side who he will play for every week. He'll get those important minutes going into Qatar and then beyond that, going into the Asian Cup and everything else. So I am I, really, really, really excited about this deal. And I think that, you know, it's the perfect kind of environment for him because as well, Hellas Verona, they, they do give these guys opportunities. They want to play football. That's the most important thing. They want to play football, and it suits Rustic's skill set perfectly. 
Yeah, and um, if they're a side who can get the ball high enough up, up uh, high up enough on the pitch, Hrustic uh, is a guy who likes to have cracks from range. He's in like the 99th percentile for shots among midfielders in the Bundesliga based on his, you know, limited sample for, for Eintracht. So, um, you know, he, he pops out with some of the, some of the metrics. He, 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 he shoots on site on Rustic. And if they're a side who can facilitate those kinds of opportunities at the top of the box, could say a, a few goals. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's great just to see, I mean, as Geraldo's mentioned, that we've got a, a Socceroo just being in culture again. Absolutely. It's great that we've got, you know, these players getting opportunities in big five leagues and the fact that now Hrustic is going to play. Like, I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt was always sort of on the cusp, always on the periphery, always on the outside looking in. Uh, so it's good to see that this move has happened and it's and it's worked. It's Hopefully it works out for him. And I'm, I'm very confident that it will. Um, and Josh, you mentioned in terms of shooting on site, I think that if he can fit sort of, if, if, that, if they can sort of tailor that midfield three to sort of allow him to get more, a bit more forward when they're in possession and sort of the way they go with their six and eight, I think it will work quite well for him. It just depends who he's playing alongside though. I think that's the most important thing, um, who the other eight is, because he won't be playing necessarily as a 10 unless they do change system and go to two forwards. Could but. They probably probably won't because they've been going with uh, Kevin Lasagna, amazing name, and Thomas Henri up top. And if he's alongside, whether it's Illich or Tameze, he probably will get that more license because they're more box-to-box midfielders and Rustic is sort of that uh, more marauding player. You want to get forward and you want to get him in those areas. So um, excited to see how that one works out. If I'm talking about disappointing um, move that didn't happen, if we're keeping on the Aussies abroad sort of theme, uh, I am a little bit disappointed that at least at this stage, um, talking about a name we just mentioned, that Volpato didn't get a loan deal. Uh, there was a lot of links to him going to Sassuolo and Salernitana at the latter stages of the of the transfer window, and the deal didn't actually happen for him. Um, so he's going to have another season playing, or at least half season playing in Primavera. So it's good he's going to still be playing minutes per se and still be close enough to Roma's system. But the fact now they've signed Dybala and, you know, they've, they've sort of sold Felix Afenijan, which might, might work okay for him, but they've signed Andrea Bellotti. It's going to be tough for him again. So I, I'm hoping that he can get that loan deal in January, but I'm very surprised it didn't happen. I thought there would have been teams queuing up to get him in even a City B side for a season or a lower City R team. So good news for Hrustic, uh, maybe not so much for Volpato, but I think that's a matter of time before we see him out on loan, probably in January, in my opinion. Let's, before we uh, go to the most important point of the night, which is the MPL chat um, with the Victorian takeover of this show, um, should we talk Ange? There's yeah. another player that's secured a move as well, we should mention. Uh, Paris Francois. Oh, yes. Uh, securing a loan move. Uh, so he got his Premier League minutes, so he's forever a Premier League player. But now he is off to the high NL. Um, has joined HNK Gorica on loan for the 2022-23 campaign. I, I did see a few, uh, quite a few people confused around. It seems like a rather weird loan, Fulham to the INL to Gorica, but I think Fulham actually have a, out, a relationship with Gorica, hence the the that loan move. But and he's replacing another Australian in Anthony Callick, who's gone to mm. uh, Hajduk. So probably moving to Hajduk, the bigger move than Gorica. So. The- the other deal, just quickly, is uh, hopefully be announced soon. Is uh, Massimo Luongo to Reading? I mean, Reading sec. Yeah, they're currently leading at the moment in their games. So on the live table, they're actually second in the championship. So if that deal comes off, great move for him. 
because if he could stamp himself in this Reading team and they continue this form throughout the season, who knows? Who knows what this could mean? We could have another... I might be counting my chickens very early after only a month and a half into the season before they hatch, but maybe another Aussie in the in the top tier. So hopefully we could see Maslowongo playing some football, and I think that's a, a good landing spot for him at Reading. I should also mention... Played. I thought he'd already played for Reading before, but it's actually just the, the blue and white stripes of QPR <laughs> that was in my memory. And, uh, and Sheffield Wednesday blue and white as well. That's so, true, I mean, yeah. Mas- you know... Maslowongo, the only place in two colours. Should mention that um at Gorica he will um Francois Kalik is gone, but Denny Urich um is still mm. uh there. And in fact Denny Urich got a goal um nice. in their most recent game. It was a loss to NK uh Varazdin, two one loss, but grabbed himself a goal um and then got red carded for a second bookable offense in the ninety-third minute. So <laughs> The highs and lows of football with Denny Urich. Just a, a quick one, guys, just on this. Alessandro Circati, just on Tim Knott's uh, point in the comments here with consecutive starts. Great to see. Um, as for before, again, people ask about capping him. He's in a similar boat where he actually wants to test himself, at least for the time being, in the Italian youth setup. Uh, I'm sure if there was a conversation about capping him that, you know, there might be a chance for him because of the centre-back depth at the moment. So something to keep an eye on. But good on him that he's gotten a couple starts for Parma in a row in a team that, you know, have ambitions to be in Serie A next season. So uh, I like that. I, I really like that for him. Well, if the Socceroos are having issues with centre-back depth, I could certainly suggest somebody that, you know, might help them out. <laughs> oh, I know exactly who you're going to go. You're going to go to the worst certain, career for this uh, one. Certain Kore- Korean-based uh, uh, defender, towering centre-back by the name of Alex Grant. No? Wrong one? <laughs> uh, There's a different one. Played 90 minutes again uh, recently. Unfortunately, you know, 1-0 lost to Gangwon um, FC. But um, And in fact... I'm, Joey, I'm going to have to ask you to take this obsession this, that you have, build a Dell Bridge, and get over it. <laughs> I think he's a better player than what a lot of people think he is. People like to go on about his every, discipline every and all that sort of stuff. He's only got three bookings on the season, three yellow cards. It was like having Hagrid in the press box every week. Uh, Dell Bridge played for Melbourne City. Joey just saying, you're a wizard, Harrison. You're a wizard. It was it was that, and then you should have seen up. It was Kolokovsky. <laughs> there were proud, proud dad moments of Joey standing there with his phone out when Kolokovsky would do something. Oh, a harrow and I was like, look at him. He looks like a dad. Like he's taking photos of Kola as he's uh, holding. I think it was after the grand final in 2021. Oh. It's proud dad. You mean when I was Kola. taking photos of the entire presentation? Oh, it looked like you were taking photos of Kola. The, the camera was, was uh, you know. It's right he's in your uh, in your Del Boy stable. He is in the stable. It's a it's a stunning endorsement. I've got a good, for I've got a good stable. Got Delbridge, Kolakowski, Genro. Who else is in my boy stable? Oh, I don't. You tell me. It's your stable. All, all former Melbourne City players. I notice. Interesting. Um, let's uh, let's no, talk about the old more. firm. Let's let's. But while Joey tries to remember which players the he uh, he barracks for relentlessly, uh, let's talk about the manager that Australia barracks for relentlessly. Ange Postecoglou continuing his old firm domination, four nil win over Giovanni Van Bronckhurst's Rangers, um, continues to uh, break records and uh, gain admirers. Ange Postecoglou in uh, in Scotland and. <laughs> Lucky agreed, agreed, Lockie. 
A great Lockie Forza Milan. Another big game for all the For the benefit of the podcast listeners, Lockie Flanagan uh, saying we all have our blind spots. Del Boy is Joey's. Mine is the greatest striker in the world, Olivier Giroud. And also anyone who's Scottish. Um, That was my addendum. Um, But uh, Dirk and Curdar is in my boy stable as well. Ooh. Really? Those, I didn't those know stocks that. have those stocks have fallen slightly. Fallen, yeah. Once you're in the stable, you're in the stable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Celtic. Any thoughts on Celtic Rangers? And this, oh, they're playing. Uh, they're playing the SPL in easy mode now. Like they have to up the, <laughs> the up the difficulty. Like you know, <laughs> they have to go to professional or something or world class. It's getting too easy for them. Indeed. The big thing for them um, is going to be the Champions League. Oh, Wednesday is going to be huge. Madrid that's at home on Wednesday is going to be massive. Yeah, that's going to be good. I'm really looking forward to that. The guy used to carpool to training with Ferenc Puskas, coaching against Real Madrid. Um, yeah, what what a, what a week! Very cool. What a week for Ange Postecoglou. He wins the old firm, comes up against Real Madrid and South Melbourne in the grand final. Can't <laughs> wait for the correlation. <laughs> If only, uh, if only a certain certain team could have held out for one more minute in uh, their last match of the season to complete the <laughs> trifecta. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Certain, certain, uh, certain blue baggers. Ah, um, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> would have been absolute postacogly stomps. If, if if I speak, if I speak. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, I, I think we need to get the Nick Nick billboard out, out after that. It was so on brand. <laughs> Am I allowed to have Max Burgess in my boy stable if he's also in several other members of this show's boy stable? Uh, I don't. Th- I don't think you have like, a majority just... stake. I think Nick Stoll is in on the yeah. ground floor there. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, Wade, Wade yeah. Decker and what about, Alex what about Luke? Luke what about Luke? What about Luke Giselle? Yeah, uh, yeah. No, he would be. Who else would <laughs> yeah. be? Like he's saying, uh, it's only a matter of time until uh, Ange Postecoglou Celtic run into the buzz saw that is uh, Tyne Castle's <laughs> green and gold army. Um, green and gold? I thought they were maroon. Yes, but they've got a lot of Australians. Oh, um, is, is, I think, is I think the point. Uh, Joseph saying round tree, the greatest uh, column collapse <laughs> since the NSL folded. Brilliant. You know, brilliant. Ryan Scott's in the boy stable. It was, uh, yeah. Carlton, yeah, I think I, I think Ryan Scott has like got the highest approval rating of any yeah. any player in the A League, yeah. perhaps. Just yeah, just I remember like us watching along and like Western United and like Jamie Young playing fantastically, and you just sort of like in the background, <laughs> shit. I remember, I remember every and there'd be some games we'd just be like Jamie Young would pull off all these ridiculous saves and be like, oh, like. Another week, like another week for the way for Ryan Scott minutes. Nothing against in... Jamie Young, but just uh, we we want to see Ryan Scott play, man. He's in he's in the the boy stable and he's on the good bloke index right up the top. So uh... hey, well he wins the best clubman every year at Western United. They may as well just rename the award the, the Ryan award Scott after him. <laughs> Ryan Scott oh, and Memorial Award. And of course, Comrade Holleran is in all of our boy stables. Yeah. So I've got a bit of breaking news. Um, which probably segues into our Ooh. final segment of the evening, MPL chat. And oh. Bentley Greens have just tweeted, oh. following the completion of the 2022 season, the Bentley Greens have decided to go to market. Interesting way to phrase it. Seeking wow. interest for the club's full-time senior coach role. They've gone out to tender, apparently. In doing so, the club has decided <laughs> a to global, A worldwide search. A global part search. Part ways with 
uh, senior coach Nick Tolios. What a strange way to say you've sacked the coach. That is very harsh. Fresh off winning the Doherty Cup, Nick Tolios out of a job. Yeah, literally won one of the three major pieces of silverware on offer this season. Made the round of 16 of the Australia Cup and they pushed Sydney FC right to their wit's end with so many injuries. This is a Bentley team. I know they crushed out in the first round of MPL finals, but this team was ravaged by injuries this season. That, that for me, is uh, that, that's, that's a sh- I, I don't like it. I don't like it. I feel sorry for Nick Tolios. I hope wherever he lands, any team that gets him, you know what, that's the signing of the offseason, fellas. Uh, I don't know what where Bentley's going to go from here, but considering the, the the cards they were dealt this season with injuries and you know what they were able to do, still make finals in a very competitive MPL Victoria and do well in the Australia Cup, win the Doherty Cup, I that's that doesn't sit well with me. I think that's so harsh. I think I can't imagine he'll be short on suitors. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be the most in-demand coach in the off-season now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, plenty of clubs who'd love to have him. I mean, Melbourne Knights well, springs to Melbourne, mind as a club who needs, Knights, needs a yeah. coach. Well, think about it. Melbourne Knights are probably the most high-profile of the lot, but you'd think there'd be other teams that just stayed up or in around that that would be saying, all right, like, is there a chance to go get Nick Tolios now and they'd throw the kitchen sink at him? Like, that's mm-hmm. going to be an interesting one. Does an MPL2 team maybe throw the kitchen sink at him? <coughs> Bulleen Lions. Uh, curious to see if something like that <laughs> might come about. But I think Melbourne Knights, I tell you what, if, if you're if you're them right now, you're, you've got to go get him. Go and get Nick Tolios. That, that for them would be massive. It could be huge for them. A team that hasn't played finals in so long. Got to get the contract out on the table. Let him write whatever he wants. Get him at the wheel. Nick Tolios. I mean, but uh, extraordinary decision. I think we're all in agreement. Pretty shocked by that. Um, Great comment coming through from Antonis saying they should hire Nick Tolios. I don't think they can afford to have a coach with, uh, with such low ticker. I would be against that appointment. Tolios returned to Kingston from Lockie Flanagan. Hashtag bring him home. Uh, well, I don't know what Kingston's plan is going to be after just staying up, whether they'll go back to with Contangalakis. But uh, no, nah, I I am very... Yeah, I, I'm shocked. But who, who did Bentley go get? Like, like who are they going to go and, and find? Well, they do spend. Like, Bentley will spend. Yeah. But like, who's available? Carl Robinson. <laughs> hey, it's Fals- closer closer to home than his last last coaching appointment. So. He's currently the TD at Danny Thunder. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of out of job coaches, yeah, I think. Well, uh, Fausto's looking for a job. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 interesting. Like Bentley's, whoever comes in for Nick Tolios has got big shoes to fill, and if they don't, it doesn't live up to him, my God, it could backfire immensely. I know they're going to go out and they're going to get. Talent, they they're going to retain much of the squad, but what are they going to do? Do they try to maybe former A-League men coach Scott Miller, coaches out in the southeast of Melbourne? That's true. Or maybe they try and tempt mm. uh, their hero, Mr. Bentley. Johnny Reyes, A. Johnny A back to the job. Mm. Given that a head See, coaching does, role is yet to eventuate for him. Does Johnny A want to go back to the, the part-time coaching sphere? Yeah, it's, you know, it'd be a big sacrifice, that's for sure. You know, like out of free agent A-League men's coaches, like who's really there right now? Like that's available. I mean, uh, 
thinking all the way back. Grant Brebner is available. We haven't seen him resurface since he Surely got fired not. at Melbourne Victory. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm spitballing coaches who got fired recently. I mean, there's. I'm assuming Carl Robinson's gone back off to, um, you know, back to, to Europe. I mean, I'm, I'm spitballing. Carl Robinson Joey. is not coaching the friendly greets. <laughs> God, hey, we could, should. We should. Hey, could you imagine? No, Could we should move on. We should discuss imagine. the actual football before we yes, get dogged yeah. down into it. If you want to chat more, no doubt, um, Nick Dubano and Lucky Flanagan will break down more of yeah. that on their uh, NBL Victoria FNR show. Yeah, Tuesday night. Extraordinary, uh, extraordinary news breaking. Um, just as we're on air here, but let's uh, let's talk about the semi-finals or the preliminary finals, as Football Victoria were calling them. They're uh, semi-finals. They can. Yeah. Sorry, but I I, I, <laughs> I don't I don't get that. why why are we calling preliminary finals like you know it's it should just be elimination semi like oh sorry anyways. Uh, well, I was using the official nomenclature as provided to me on the call today. So. Um, uh, Oakley Cannons, 2-1 winners against Port Melbourne, despite going a goal down, and South Melbourne doing their thing. 1-0 winners at Lakeside Stadium, their 15th clean sheet of an incredible campaign. Uh, Alan Webb with the goal, sending them past Green Gully. So we'll we'll have a a Greek derby in the final, South Melbourne versus Oakley, at a venue yet to be determined. Uh, Gents, your your reactions to, uh, to the results? Um... Great for Oakley that we said it before, how they've been able to to somehow keep, you know, the dream alive. It's awesome for them. Port Melbourne, a bit disappointing though. I mean, they were the team that no one wanted to play because they were the sort of that dark horse side that were, you know, taking points and, you know, were had sort of snuck their way into second and they were up one nil, they were in control and Joe Knowles literally scored out of nowhere. That equalizer was absolutely unbelievable. Like he just kind of the ball just came to him, just whacked it first time. Um, but good for them. South Melbourne, I mean, it was expected. 1-0 win, as you said, Josh. It's South Melbourne. Like, they're going to win like that. And a great goal from Alan Webb. And, you know, Josh, as you saw firsthand, um, you know, once they get a 1-0 lead, they're not going to concede, right? Like, that's that's South Melbourne for you. Deserve it spot in the grand final. I think, you know, it's the two best teams in NPL Victoria when they're at their best. And we're going to be set for a great game next Sunday. Yeah, I think two worthy grand final participants. Um, just talking about South Melbourne, didn't go all go to plan. They were forced into two injury substitutions within the first twenty minutes. Uh, ben Jeba copying a two footed challenge from Matthew Crooks. He didn't didn't even um, give away a free kick, but it mm. uh, went through the ball and then through the man. And Ben Jeba being taken to hospital with a suspected broken ankle, which uh, hopefully. Is not the case, but we are wishing him all the best with his with his recovery, and we hope the prognosis isn't as bad as first feared. And then Andy Brennan uh, going down with what looked like a potentially a groin injury, some sort of muscle strain, uh, having to come off. Um, so South Melbourne kind of down to bare bones up front with uh, Harry Sawyer, obviously off to Jamshedpur in India, and um, you know they they needed something special to break the deadlock. Uh, Alan Webb from outside the box, they were creating lots of sort of half chances off the Max Mikkeler long throws. And it was eventually, you know, a half cleared long throw that fell to, to Alan Webb, but he still had a lot to do. Um, you know, there was only really one area of the goal he could aim for. And he kind of wrong footed the goalkeeper by going with the outside of his boot um, and sending it into the right-hand corner of the net. The goalkeeper started um, uh, stepping one way and then it nestled in the opposite corner. Uh, so it was a brilliant strike. And Alan Webb having, uh, having crossed the divide for a Melbourne Knights in the off season and now a, uh, 
now a bona fide South Melbourne legend as they get to their first grand final since uh, since 2016. Josh, you mentioned Ben Jaber and Andy Brennan going off. I mean, if they're out for Sunday, how big of an out is this for South Melbourne? Because obviously they've already lost Harry Sawyer in the front line. Andy Brennan's come, you know, he's sort of still there, but they're down almost their bare bones in the front line. Like, you know, we saw them bring on uh, Morgan Evans in defense and as well, Josh Wallen, who's a bit more of a deep line player. How do you see this sort of affecting South Melbourne? Is it potentially, you know, going to put things in Oakley's direction just a little bit more, sway things in their direction? Or can you still see South uh, being too good for them on the day and still being able to play their way despite not having that extra quality in defence and attack? I think Oakley are going to struggle to break South Melbourne down. We saw it in the last game of um, uh, last last time they met um, Oakley. Mm. Uh, and we were calling that game. Uh, yeah, we were. And um, Oakley didn't generate too many clear-cut scoring opportunities. Um, it's it's so difficult against that 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 South Melbourne defence to break them down. Uh, obviously, Lakeside they play so well there. So the final being in a neutral venue uh, might change things a bit. Toros asking why the final can't be played at Amy Park. I mean, it is an option, but it's incredibly expensive to rent out. Um, you know, it's a six-figure sum we're talking about uh, for for a double header. So. Uh, our mail is that probably won't be at Amy Park, but we'll, we'll have to wait for announcement on uh, on that front. Um, yeah, Brennan was playing, was intended as the kind of hold-up striker. He hasn't scored this season, which is incredible. I, you know, I thought I'd uh, made a mistake when I was assembling my stat sheet, but I double-checked it and he's, he's yet to score a goal this year. Uh, but he does a lot of other things that benefit his teammates in attack and... Uh, he was trying to fill in in that number nine role. They ended up playing Marcus Schroen as the out-and-out striker, which I didn't see coming. Uh, he did a serviceable job up there. Uh, Max Mikula is a force of nature, not just the long throws, but every time he gets on the ball, looking to deliver an early cross or run at his defender, you know, he's just such a fantastic player. Um, so he'll be a difference maker. Joe Knowles being uh, being fully fit. <laughs> Andrew suggesting the MCG for a, for a Sunday Arvo kickoff. Uh, don't think so. Um, but uh, I, I think it's it's kind of a 50-50 game at the moment, given that South Melbourne have those injury problems. Um, Oakley obviously have a heavy schedule, but a week break for them will be a, a rare rest, and hopefully they can get their uh, their bodies ready. Joey? Um. Yeah, I don't have too much to wait before we get to the other NPLs around the country. Um, should be a fine occasion, big crowd, raucous atmosphere. It's going to be one of the things that's going to dominate the discussion and into the week. Lewis Italiano playing for Oakley um, against Port Melbourne after being an emergency signing for the Cup. Proved to play in the finals as well by Football Victoria. I think it would behoove Football Victoria to reveal... Uh, Behoo Football Victoria to reveal their reasoning behind that because it's going to be one of the only things South Melbourne fans talk about throughout the entire week. Um, especially, and if you think they talk about it before the game, if Oakley win um, the grand final and Italiano pl- has to make a single save, um, they'll, it will dominate the discussion as well. So I think it would behoove Football Victoria to get on the front foot with that. Um, I also want to make reference NPL Women's Victoria Grand Final. It has now been set up. It will be called the United facing off with FC Berlin Lions in a rematch of the last Grand Final that NPL Women's Victoria was able to play back in 2019. Um, on that occasion, Alicia Ecke for Calder, the lone goal, seventh minute. 
um, as they became champions of Victoria for the second time. Bulleen uh, really sputtered this season at a level that the talent that they've assembled would suggest they shouldn't have done. But then you look at their team, they've had players in and out throughout the entire season. Maybe they're getting the band back together now. Um, TJ Vlanic has left to sign with the clubs in um, Serbia, but Paige Zoyce is back after um, the Under-20 World Cup. Tiff Eliadis, after not playing since round 16, returned in their semi-final win over Heidelberg. So looking forward to seeing that game. But um, sorry if I'm taking over here, Josh, but I've got the other NPLs around the country up on oh, the screen please. in front of me. Um, NPL South Australia, because we also have um, Antonis in the comments. Uh, their grand final is on Friday night, um, 8 p.m. Adelaide City up against the Adelaide Comets there at Service FM Stadium. Um, as Antonis has put in the comments, Adelaide City playing in, uh, sorry, Adelaide Comets playing in their fourth grand final in succession, yet to win one. They are the Buffalo Bills of NPL South Australia. Um, so obviously Adelaide City, as Antonis had pointed out, the favourites um, in that one. So that should be an interesting one. That one will be, I think my old man might actually be going to that game as well. So um, uh, that that will be an interesting one. The champions of South Australia, Adelaide City, obviously a national second division aspirant. So winning titles can only ever help with those sort of things. NPL Queensland's their grand final will be on Saturday night. Um, the semifinals are taking place yesterday and today. Brisbane Olympic down in the Queensland Lions, Olympic down in the Lions, 3-2. And Gold Coast Knights, coached by Scott McDonald, defeating the Peninsula Power, 3-1 today, setting up Gold Coast Knights versus Brisbane Olympic in that grand final. It will be Saturday evening, 7.30pm at Perry Park. So that should be another interesting one to watch, if nothing else, to see which talent will be coming down to Victoria next season when we when we invariably pinch all of Queensland's best talent. NPL WA, their preliminary final, and it's an actual preliminary final because they've already played the semifinals, will be on Tuesday this coming week ahead of the grand final. On Saturday, Perth Red Star will be playing off with Sorrento um, with... The winner then moving in to play Floriat Athena in the grand final on Saturday afternoon. NPL, Northern New South Wales. I can't figure out what's going on with their season. <laughs> um, uh, elimination finals are this weekend. Maitland won the premiership, it appears, um, finishing just a point clear of Broadmeadow Magic. Uh, Preston's Macedonian cousins uh, unable to secure the premiership on the last day of the season, NPL Tasmania, Devonport City running away with the league. They've got one round to go. Devonport City long since crowned premiers. NPL New South Wales, obviously they, they had their grand final last week. Teo Palazzari called that game, broke it down for us. Go listen to last week's show if you want that. Um, I have no idea what's going on with the Northern Territories uh, League or what the go is with that. It confuses me whenever I research it for the Australia Cup. They don't have an MPL, so... Yeah. Ha have I missed anyone? Capital football. Capital football. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A NPL, ACT. <laughs> I'm just trying to avoid accusations of Victorian centrism. Uh, they've got one round remaining, the last round of their regular season happening 
this weekend, Canberra FC already crowned premiers of that one. So there you go, Canberra, Croatia, with more silverware in the bag already. Good stuff, Joey. Good Never stuff, accuse okay. me of being Victoria only. Tokenism, that's what we need. To yeah, how many other podcasts that advice. claim to care about the grassroots and the NPL and the Australia Cup actually break down the NPL and pay attention to it? Yeah, yeah. Get that one up here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so unnecessary. <laughs> so aggressive. Sorry. Um, <laughs> We've been on the podcast for two hours. This is when all the good Nick stuff Nick Nabano cha- cha- channeling uh, on Nick Nabano channeling Nick Nabano uh, in the last round of the AFL season. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you get that? Did you get that from Anna Harrington, who was uh, in the box with me while that was all happening? <laughs> Can we talk and, about... Uh, and uh, uh, this is the Pine... comment I was just scrolling back to find it. Can we talk about Pine Rivers Athletic FC avoiding relegation from FQPL5 after a 5-5 draw with Clavo? don't know how to say that properly, FC on the final day of the season. How Clavo. bloody good is football and promotion and relegation? What's up? on, Jim. We love it. We love it. Keep your uh, local football anecdotes coming, by the way. Well, I um, can just say they must have been dancing on the streets of Strathpine after that <laughs> result. Honestly, dancing, going down that uh, the, the main road there in Strathpine. Um, <laughs> As Joey frantically Gimpy, dancing down dancing down Gimpy Road there in Strathpine. <laughs> Past the past the Hungry Jacks, past the Subway, past the KFC. Past it's a party the, on Gimpy Road as we no, end. No doubt wanting to support local business, so they went, went to Hello Harry the Burger Joint uh, there in Strathpine. Strathpine in dreamland indeed. Uh, Joey Lynch, Nick Devano, thank you for your company tonight. That wraps up the national curriculum here on ESPN, and we'll catch you again next week. 